Blog Talk Radio. We are vibrational beings. You know, we're not just flesh and blood. You know, uh, if you put anything under a microscope, an intense microscope, you're going to ultimately see that everything is vibration. And, in, and as the scientists are not telling us, there's information there. But it's not solid. It's always moving. So we're vibrational beings. And when we lift our vibration to what we want to experience, it happens first on a vibratory level. And then it shows up and manifests in our life. So uh, people who are holding on to rancor, animosity, mm-hmm. they're slowing down their vibration. Okay. Another way of saying it is you cannot have what you're not willing to become vibrationally. Ah. If you do get it, you'll lose it. Ah. You see, this is why people that win the lottery, they, <laughs> they lose everything, yes. or they'll finally get the person they think they Absolutely. want to be with. They can't keep the, can't keep the relationship, or they'll get a modicum of success but can't hold on to it, because inside they weren't vibrationally aligned. They really hadn't become it. So you can temporarily manipulate and get things, but to have it completely, you have to lift your vibration and, and become that in, in, in vibration. You're not really attracting things to you, you're really radiating. Ah, It's really a radiation. I can cry right now. It's like if I become the vibrational frequency of love, harmony, peace, and I'm radiating that. That's the key. It's going to show up in my life. That's the key. Yeah. That's the word. You're not attracting it. You have to be it and radiate it, and then it, it comes, it is drawn to you. Right. And you to it. Yeah. You have to like yourself when you're by yourself. Yeah. You have to like yourself. I mean, when, you, when you're by yourself, you have to look at those thoughts, the beautiful thoughts, the crazy thoughts. Mm-hmm. You have to embrace yourself. You have to forgive yourself. You have to love yourself. And when you can fall in love with yourself and like yourself when you're by yourself, now you can be with others. But if you don't like yourself when you're by yourself, then you're pulling on others to make you happy. Is it possible to life vision when you're at the bottom? Not only is it possible, that's probably the best time to do it. When circumstances and situations are pressing in upon us, the only way we can overcome them is to go within. To actually begin to ask very empowering questions with the awareness that this universal presence and its law will answer any question that you ask. So if you're in a situation that uh, is pressing on you and you ask, what's trying to emerge in my life? What is my gift to share? Mm. What is my purpose? Why am I here on the planet? Not just how can I pay my rent, not just how can I stop the pain. You ask empowering questions, the universe will answer these questions in a language and in a way that you can understand. There'll be inner prompting, there'll be intuitive hits, nudges, signs, symbols, dreams. It'll come in the language of the the, the individual soul and heart. The difficulty is that when people are in tough situations, they ask disempowering questions. They say, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. Who's to blame? Why Why me? me? Those are the disempowering questions. So the universe will answer those too. pull on the database of human experience and say you were born on the wrong side of the tracks or you were born on the right side of the tracks or you this happened or that happened it will give you a a, a bevy of excuses but if you ask an empowering question you'll get an answer to rise above the muck so it's all about the question the sincerity of the question and then the ability and the willingness to to really listen to really be available that that's where the juice is
And that is available to every human being. Whether an individual is in prison, whether an individual is imprisoned by circumstance, imprisoned in their own mind about an event that happened in their past, it doesn't matter. Once you ask with sincerity, the universe will answer. That's, that's the way it operates. You know, it goes back to asking the question. Yeah. And it, but it also goes back to understanding that the presence of God has never made a mistake, yeah. doesn't do do-overs, and doesn't repeat itself. Therefore, each of us are unique expressions of the infinite. The way the infinite gets to express its infinite nature is through its uniqueness. Yeah. Therefore, I have a mandate to discover myself, yeah. find out who and what I am, what my purpose is, and to express it. And that, and that idea within us yeah. is infinite and is always unfolding. So it's not a one and done. It's not, I've arrived. Mm -hmm. It's, I'm always on a journey of unfolding. You grow where it, you're planted. You grow where you're planted. And, and then you ask, what's trying to emerge? What's trying to unfold? And you'll start to get hints. You start to take baby steps walking in that direction. And as you take baby steps, inertia becomes momentum. Mm -hmm. And then possibilities start to reveal themselves. Potential starts to be activated. And, and you find yourself, as you look back, wow, I'm changed. I'm different. Yeah. When did that happen? You have to be in alignment with it. You have to have a level of practice. You have to give up your resistance to the circumstance. In other words, you're, it's, you're not arguing and resisting the with the circumstances. Yeah. I know this person said, I prayed. I did that. God <laughs> hadn't answered me yet. Yeah. This is the deal. God is always answering. Yes. But are we receiving? Are we listening? Are we available? Yeah. So prayer, meditation, life visioning, it attunes us to become in alignment yeah. with that vibration. So we actually can hear it. We can actually feel it and then move in that direction. Many people, uh, if their prayers would be answered, they couldn't even receive it. They're not, they're not vibrationally ready. Victim consciousness is where many people live. Yeah. Somebody did it to me. The reason why I'm not happy is because he just make, you know, my ex-boyfriend, my boss. The world isn't fair. The world isn't fair. They're doing it to me. The reason why I'm not happy is somebody else's fault. Mm -hmm. God did it to me. The devil did it to me. My astrological sign did it to me. The numbers did it my to mother. me. My mother. My karma. Yeah. Okay. That's the victim stage. Every victim has a victim story. You ask somebody, a victim, what's going on, they'll give you a list of complaints about what's wrong and who did it. Fannie Lou Hamer once said, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. When you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, something happens and you start to open up to a possibility that maybe, maybe I'm in my own way. Maybe there's something more than, than what meets the eye. You're going to need something that is not within your little mind and your little perception. And that's where prayer comes in. That's where meditation comes in. That's where life visioning comes in. So if you just said, help, I'm open. I'm available to something new. Now you're on your way. Yeah. Help is a prayer. Help, help is a prayer. Yeah. I, I say, when I use the word help, I say, hello, eternal loving presence. That's what help means to me. Yeah. Hello, eternal, eternal loving. loving presence. Wow, that's a good one. Back in the day when the Bodhi tree existed and a book fell off the shelf. Just, I walked in and the book just slammed on the floor off the shelf. 
And it was exactly what I needed to read at that time. And so I learned about manifestation. I learned about the second stage, which is how to manifest, which is establishing intention, beginning to see visually the kind of life you want to uh, live, beginning to have conversation about that kind of life. I tell people you have to talk about it more than you talk about your problems because at the end of the day, if you're complaining more than you're talking about your vision, then you're in inertia. So there's a shift that takes place where you're actually talking about the possibilities more than you're talking about your issues. You don't deny the issues. Bad things have happened to people. You're not denying that those things have happened. But it's the energy that you give to it. That yes. is a definite true fact. If you start talking about somebody or you're engaged in a conversation where you're gossiping, before long, you're spiraling down. Energy goes into those lower frequencies. Yep. Doubt, worry, fear. All, now you're in, you're in that sediment. Mm-hmm. You're in that dynamic. Mm-hmm. But if you start talking about possibility, even, even if you don't know how to get there, then your energy starts to go up. Mm-hmm. You know, what if you ask a what if question, you know, what if, what if all my needs were met? What would I be doing in my life? What if everything is really working together for my good? What if all the bad things that have happened in my life are leading me to activating some great potential in my, in my experience? Mm-hmm. What if God really is on my side? Yeah. You know, you ask a what if question and you start to notice little tiny miracles happening in your life. Mm-hmm. Things start to manifest. You don't know how they got there. The, the primary dark night of the soul is when you're losing your identification yeah. with your previous identity, but you don't yet have an identification with what's new emerging. You're mm-hmm. in That's good. the dark. That's good. You don't know. Uh, you, you, you knew this is who you used to be, yeah. but you're not that anymore. But who you're becoming, you're not that either. So it's dark. It's really... And sometimes it's excruciating. Sometimes it's a lot of fear, a lot of disconnect. And I I, I tell people that when you're going through that, Mm -hmm. tell them to ask this question. If this experience were to last forever, what quality would have to emerge for me to have peace of mind? So if you ask that question, and you say, oh, if this this particular experience was going to last forever, I would, need, I would need some strength, I would need some, some peace, I would need a little bit more, you know, name whatever quality. And what happens is, when your attention starts focusing on that quality, rather than resisting the dark night, then the process is speeded up. And your identification... You move through it You faster. move it through it faster. Yeah. Pain pushes until the vision pulls. So, life is progressive, and it's pushing you... Yeah until you get pulled by a larger vision. So once you have a vision that you can articulate. Okay, so pain pushes you, so it get, it's hard, it's harder, it's harder, it's harder, and it's trying to force you into having a vision, a vision yes. that's bigger than, 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 than the, the pain. pain. And that's a principle. Potential is always bigger than the problem. Potential is always bigger than the problem. Your potential is infinite and is always bigger than whatever problem you're going through. You begin to have a, a, a vision about the possibility. Mm-hmm. You start to be pulled by it. And then 
once you really sincerely embrace it yeah. and your life begins to be, okay, when I wake up this morning, I'm going to walk in the direction of my purpose. I'm going to walk in the direction of my vision. I'm going to walk in the direction of that possibility and the potential yes. instead of allowing myself to go, oh, woe is me or I can't believe. Or that. Right. I'm going to walk in the... The cosmic yeah. two by four doesn't need to hit you as much. Wow. You're pulled. You're being pulled more by joy and it's like... I'm being pulled by some, something. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges. Of course. Of course. We don't, we don't, we're not praying to live a challenge-free life. We're praying that the challenges that come activate latent potential. Understanding that pain pushes until vision pulls. Ask what-if questions. Yes. Begin to see, visualize the kind of life you want to live. Mm -hmm. Begin to talk about it. Begin to write it down. Begin to dream about it. And then what I, what I teach is... You talk about it. doesn't mean you talk to everybody because everyone is not trustworthy. That's right. You talk to selected friends. About it. About it. You talk to it. Uh -huh. You actually talk to the vision. Talk to the possibility. Talk to love. You talk to peace. You talk to prosperity. I see you everywhere. I see you prosperity in the lawn. I see you abundance on the, in the grain of the sand. I see you everywhere. Mm -hmm. You talk to it. And then after a while... You're talking from it. I do forget I rap. I be on this shit wherever I'm at. 
I learned that from the rap He gon' drink whatever niggas sell him just to say he hot They be like he wasn't even with that shit whenever a nigga die Mercy won't gon' always lie to y'all whenever a nigga die Stand a nigga stable as they check just to keep y'all quiet no stump his ass Better do it not on stand Cause niggas die for pumping gas Why you act like that shit so exclusive Bitch that's public ass Ain't no nigga we don't fuck with Come around we stump his ass Not a voice Creep up at that cut We like Not a voice Catch it before he run that gun on Hey who you kill? Steady talking like you did a drill We gon' kill you sober Who done told you that I need a pill? Yeah, dear step up Put my toe on that boy You Mickey Mouse bitch You went and told on that boy all my guns come with a switch, cause I'm fucking rich I don't type no tweets or throw no fists, get shot in your shit Old nigga steady tryna diss, fuck up off my dick Caught him leaving bingo with his bitch, and we sent a blitz Nardo tryna fight me by the stick, it's his turn to blitz I can't even roll my arts and shit, pussies don't exist One, two, three, four, niggas mad I fuck they hoe Five, six, seven, eight, pussies that got hit with this case Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, don't got L's they gotta chase Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen Hollow tips, they hit his face. What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? Hit that little bitch front of back. Pest control, who called about rats? Who won't smoke with us? 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 Nigga. I be with real killers. I'm a rapping street niggas. Copy paste the lead niggas. Can't wait till we see niggas. Who won't smoke his free? On the opera sweet switch. Hop out middle of the street. Hit him. Soon as he fall off his feet, kill him. Been out all week. C3 RIP pitch. My shooters all eat. You can tell that we rich. Pull up on his switch. Been on all the hits. Now I'm all legit. Shout not a wish, bitch. One, two, three, four. Fuck the ops, them niggas hoes. Five, six, seven, eight. Slam the race with GDK. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve. No mask, still ain't go to jail. Chronic K checks in the mail. Put that away just for bail. All the crack we used to sell. Auntie House still got the smell. Fans be negative as hell. Fuck that shit, I just prevailed. Hey, y'all hold a hundred shells. Aim that bitch, shoot everywhere. No limit, I never care. Spin they block, they never care. But. What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? Cut the fucking checks. Bah! Touch my fucking neck. It's not just grocery stores seeing empty shelves and panic shoppers. Gun and ammunition dealers are very busy in the last week. It's been a busy year for them, in fact, but they told ABC 13's Ted Oberg they have never seen anything like the last few days. Ted's been trying to figure out why. He's now live at Top Gun on the city's southwest side. Tom, Ted? Gina, the one thing the general manager asked us here when we came in to do the interview is, hey, can you make it quick? We are very, very busy. Take a look. I mean, this case here should be full of handguns. Usually it's not this the same way. Look at their ammunition shelves. They have more in the warehouse, uh, but they say on these shelves they just hadn't had time to restock them. Then take a look at that wall where you see the two long guns there. It's been restocked twice this week. When we started this day, there were six on that wall. Now there are only two left, and they say they're likely won't be any to restock until a new shipment tomorrow or the next day. The point here, they say they are seeing lots of repeat customers. 
but in this surge, plenty of new ones, too. Phyllis Myers wanted a gun for months, but today was the day she came in to buy one, a Smith & Wesson 380. They have sold three this morning. And do they have a fourth for you? No, we had an order. Order online. At gun stores across the country, guns and ammunition are selling at record levels, so much so that some gun stores are limiting ammunition purchases. A gun sales trade group says background checks were up 300% Monday over the same day last year. But why? The NRA told us Americans know that during trying times like these, first responder resources may be limited and their safety is ultimately in their own hands. It's comfort, right? Uh, you have to comfort knowing that I can protect my family and my loved ones if the time arose or need be, and I think that's just some peace of mind. It's not all being met with open arms. There are scattered reports of cities across the country considering ammo or gun sales limits, but we can't find any actually enacted. The Brady campaign against gun violence warned it is understandable to seek what can feel like protection in times of upheaval, but we must acknowledge the risk bringing guns into the home pose. What do you compare this to? Nothing. There's, There's no comparison? Not really. You may be able to hear their very busy range here at Top Gun. One more change, Gina, is that normally people would buy ammunition here to use in the range. More often than not, Kyle Harrison told me they are buying the ammunition here to take home and have in their stockpile. Gina? You know, Ted, we usually see gun sales from time to time go up. Usually it's related to fears that their ability to have weapons is going to be put in peril. Mm -hmm. Is this really the biggest peak for gun sales ever? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say ever, right? They certainly the most condensed peak that ramped up so quickly that the gun dealers we've spoken to uh, would, would tell us. We take a look at FBI gun background check data. That's a way to track buyers. It, it has certainly gone up since April of last year when the Democratic primary heated up, for example. You see the gradual increase in the last several months. But take a look. The only peak that mimics what we're seeing most recently was way back in the end of 2015 when Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were ending their presidential campaign. Uh, that's the only thing that mimics this, and March could be even higher than that. And Ted, my neighbor around the corner, I saw her when we were running. We were social distance apart, however. She made mention of the fact that she was glad she had her guns. What are people telling you more about their motivations for buying now? What do they mean when they say they're worried about a panic? Yeah, I think it's a tricky question about why uh, people would suggest this might be panic buying. Some of them linked it to, like, the grocery store buying, the same thing, the empty shelf here might be an empty toilet paper shelf at HEB, but I'm not certain that's the same issue or the same psychology. I think what we're hearing most from both dealers uh, and, uh, and, and buyers is that they're sort of playing out these what-if scenarios to their ultimate end, and they're worried about a, some sort of breakdown and wanting to be able to take care of themselves. Powered in a time when so many of us feel so powerless. Ted, thank you for that. Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on the bottom line with Joey L. on the new Evolution Radio Network. But I want to ask you here because I think this is a question that comes up a lot, especially when it comes to talking about the soul and what yes. role the actual soul plays with us. You know, we have the mind, the body, and some yeah. would say the soul and the connection that it plays in our transformation as becoming gods and goddesses yes. walking on this earth. What is that connection between the soul, and, and, and what do we need that for in our transformation? 
the soul is all there really is. Everything else is a projection of the soul. And this particular soul, when it starts to wake itself up, which is a sun, S-U-N-S-O-N. Right. You see what I'm saying? A star. Every man, every woman is a star. Whenever it starts to wake itself up, it, it, it does various things. Some souls are still asleep. So, therefore, in place of it, the ego exists and su- supposes itself to be the individual. That's most people. But, but then when the soul starts to wake up, it starts to send signals to the consciousness to remember itself. So you start reading, you start studying, and you start, you know, going into this particular consciousness. Now, there's several distractions in there because when the soul is trying to do it, the ego is still involved, and it's a hard process because you can get distracted again, which means the ego can go, hey, this soul is waking up, but I still love it. I want to be, I want to exist. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a part of this knowledge that ultimately will wake this soul up, and I'm going to have this person get locked in one of the areas of the knowledge. And it will suppose itself it's being knowledge, but because it is locked into one area, that's nothing but a form of ego. Mm-hmm. That's why they say master nothing. That's so the story goes in the, in the, in the Holy Grail. They got a, 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 a knight called Parzival. Parzival is a knight that was raised in the country by his mother. His father was a knight. The father gets killed. The mother says, it's a horror story, basically. The father was a knight. The father gets killed. The mother said, I don't want him to be no knight. So she raises him way in the woods. And he plays with nature and everything. And so one day, he's out there in the woods, and he sees a shining knight in a silver shining suit. And he said, oh, my God, that's God. So he runs and tells his mom, he runs and tells his mama, say, Mom, I want to be a knight. And she almost faints. But she knows he's getting to be 18 now. And she can't hold him forever. So she has one of these plans. She takes him and, and shows him up a court jester's uniform and says, this is the uniform of a knight. So her plan is when he comes there looking like a clown at King Arthur's court, they, they will laugh him out of the court and he will run back home and never want to be a knight again. So he rides off to King Arthur's court. As soon as he rides off, she falls off dead. And the reason why she falls out dead because when you're on this bridge, if you try to go backwards, you fall, fall, fall. You can never go backwards. You can never go home. So now, so what happens here is he gets to the court, night's court, and they are laughing and laughing and laughing at him with this court just in such a ridiculous outfit till it gets the ear of King Arthur. Thus, he's he able to go into, it works the opposite. He's able to go right in front of King Arthur because of this funny outfit. And later on, he ends up becoming a knight, but all of the, this is, now this is the key, all of the knights were proficient and masters, but they were always masters at one discipline. Right. Which means that you're still locked in a box. Whereas Parzival, because he was not raised into knighthood, and came from humble origins, he was able to get the Holy Grail when the other ones were not able to get the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail is i.e. his own soul and rise to the God level. That's what the mystery is. He is able to get the Holy Grail for the simple fact that by him not mastering the discipline, he was able to ride through all of the disciplines. You see what I'm saying? And get the, 
and, and get the his own soul. So mastering, you master something, but if you master one section, you're only inflating your ego. By him being the divine fool, which is the tarot card, it's called the fool. And it is the only tarot card that can be used throughout the entire deck. It masters all. So that's what the humility is. So in so many words, you have to trick the ego to keep letting you go. So give me an example. Um, back in 08, back in 98, I, I produced my dark side lectures and started explaining all this stuff based on the dark side. Right. Now, I became famous with it, but I could have used it as a theology and said, that's what I'm an expert at, and that's all I'm going to do. Right. And I would have got stuck. Hell, I'm talking about fucking archangels now <laughs> in the relationship. So you never get stuck. You never turn anything into a theology. And that is the reason why most of these systems that people initiate in, they're never going to work. Because they are only a fragment of something. And ultimately, the ego can latch on to that. So in so many words, the soul sends this particular information so it can get to know itself, so it can remember who it is. You see what I'm saying? But the ego is there for distraction. But the soul is all there really is. And it's an entire maze between the soul and you. And, and you. And so what you have to ultimately do is to surrender and give up and say, I don't exist. So what I had to do is I had to get rid of Bobby Hemmings. Right. You see, and all that was dear to me, you see. That way you can eliminate the possibility of the ego latching on. Bobby Hemmings ain't around now for the ego to latch on. You see what I'm saying? I ain't got no goddamn scruples. <laughs> None. No scruples whatsoever. You see what I'm saying? Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on the bottom line with Joey L. On the new Evolution Radio Network. And why do I say that? Because after 46 years and teaching you morons for 23 years, you want to take the easy way out. Because you think life is a journey. That is horseshit. Life's a journey if you're a moron and you're retarded. That's why, you know, that's what, that's what you've done with the life up heretofore. It's been a journey. And how good is the fucking journey? You tell me. Wouldn't you have rather, when the first time you went out with somebody that you thought you were in love with, thought is the operative word, wouldn't you have lied to have a, a template? Oh, let's follow this process instead of, because that is a journey. And all the mistakes you made and raising this fucking little shithead for kids you got instead of having this book. Life doesn't have to be a journey. It's a journey for morons. You think life is a journey for the Trump kids? It's a motherfucking process, the same process his daddy raised him by. Same for me. Life ain't a journey if you're my kid. It's a goddamn process. So you tell me if you're results-orientated at all, who's better off, the journey or the process? And for the most part, 
most people in this room and most people listening on YouTube have to come to the realization, as sad as it is, that you have pissed, you have urinated, heretofore, up until this morning, your entire life down a fucking shithole. Very simple. That's it. If you want to create massive wealth, if you just want to be a happy, slappy housewife from fucking Dundee or a happy, slappy bimbo from fucking Toronto or a happy, slappy guy who goes to the Little League games in Mesa, Arizona, then that's okay. But if you want to create some fucking money, and money's not everything, but if you don't money, think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to fucking shop. Say that with an Irish accent. Okay. If, <laughs> if you don't think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to shop. If you don't think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to shop. Correct. <laughs> uh, correct. And, but I mean, you can get money and then go save the world. You can get money and save the forests in Brazil. You make money and go save global warming, which I don't believe in. You can, I mean, and save the, uh, the kids in Biafra and all that shit. But without money, you can't save a fucking thing. Don't you understand? Don't the fucking idiots on YouTube understand that? Until you make some shekels. Until you make some fucking coin. You can't help anybody. Because if love got the job done, you wouldn't all be fucked up. And I've had mothers, daughters, grandfather, daughter, uh, son. I've run three generations the gamut in this seminar here. And they all say the exact same thing. The daughter looks to the mother, you fucked me up. The, the mother looks to the father, you fucked me up. And they all agree. And where it really gets dicey is the second or, three day, second or third days after they have a few drinks, a few pops. Then it gets, it can get fucking ugly, as Sally would say. Fucking ugly. Nothing like a mother to turn on her daughter or vice versa. Nothing like it. It's like in the fucking movies. It's like a goddamn soap opera. Because that's life. And if we admit it to ourselves, then we have an opportunity to move on. If we don't, then we're just fucked in the quagmire. The mighty set. Santana, what's up? More like a movement you need be in tune with. Killer the dawn, what's good? Crack music. Diplomatic community, 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 Told them use it as my casket if I drop dead Please. Money, power, respect is what the lock said He showed a lot of locker, respect is what the cops said Fuck the cops Paparazzi flakes on the six page click, click, click. Grammy bunch with the 40s by the ribcage Got my jacks, we want to be the 
just like Big Dave, R.I.P. I've been buying roadies since the kid's age. My ninth one, four, five, six, top in the seven series. Thanks, up. drop top shit, I can see having clearly. Right for me. Try to put them on the game, but they never hear me. Stupid. Maybe it's Texas, the closest that you're getting near me. Oh, shit, cause life is so ferocious that it's getting scary. <laughs> it's hard to stay focused, my eyes are getting teary. Oh, Miss, what up, nigga? Diplomatic community. Hey, yo, Capo, what up, man? After I fuck all these girls wanna spoon with me. Come get into with me. I'm shining like the sun and girl, you looking like the moon of yes, me. You are. Your man a goon, he's scared to be in the room with me. That's detrimental. I don't deal with anything that's sentimental. Had cocaine in the rent. Nothing sweet, but all my sweets are presidential. Dead presidents, I'm done with residential. What I mean, man, I bought my own zip code. Oh. Leave me alone, I go flip mode Don't care if you black with a big nose White with pink toes Just how the shit goes The kid with the sick flow Jewelry, got Bruce Leroy Slash Slick Rick Glow Fuck is you, Negro She's crazy Do you know what the fifth is? Yes, Father, I know what the fifth is. The fifth is there are few things on the ground that are not criminal. The fifth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. That's right. Now I want you to tell me what happened. No, Father. I'm not telling nobody nothing. Don't be afraid, my son. Nobody's more powerful than God. I don't know about that, Father. Your guy's bigger than my guy up there. But my guy's bigger than your guy down here. It's not just grocery stores seeing empty shelves and panic shoppers. Gun and ammunition dealers are very busy in the last week. It's been a busy year for them, in fact, but they told ABC 13's Ted Oberg they have never seen anything like the last few days. Ted's been trying to figure out why. He's now live at Top Gun on the city's southwest side. Tom, Ted? It's not just grocery stores seeing empty shelves and panic shoppers. Gun and ammunition dealers are very busy in the last week. It's been a busy year for them, in fact. But they definitely took a toll on black male-female relationships, especially in the 1960s, because in the 1960s, black men and black women, they were doing what they were supposed to have done for a long time, which was fight together against white supremacy, against racism. And they were doing this with the civil rights movement. So what happened, people had to come in and infiltrate and have a divide and conquer um, strategy between black men and black women. In 1964, government came in and they pulled black women to the side and they started to classify black women and women in general as minorities. In 1964, that's the first time they classified women as minorities. So they started to give them set-asides and benefits and then they created the, the feminist movement and a lot of sisters branched off into that and that kind of created a rift because a lot of sisters stopped fighting for civil rights and they started to fight for women's rights but women's rights weren't being jeopardized in the black community our first priority was racism and we should have dealt with that first we wanted to be free we didn't need any boundaries need no man to tell us what to do well we hadn't had no man to tell us what to do anyway you couldn't tell us what to do in slavery so who you know we didn't really have no fight with you about that. That was the white woman's fight with her man, but we took it on. 
I want to be free. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. And then women started having babies, what they call out of wedlock, and then that got to be okay too. Oh, it's all right. Once it got accepted by society, all of the rest of the people, then it was okay then to just have a baby. In fact, I don't even want him for nothing but to just have a baby. And then we started saying, oh, I'm going to be the mother and the father. All kind of nonsense. And so what happened was that movement, and there never was a sisterhood in the women's liberation movement between the black woman and the white woman. Because you have to understand, in the tactic of the art of war, when you want to destroy a stronger enemy, you have to get rid of the, the cultural perspective of uh, authority. So what do you do? You have to destroy the man in the society. And that's exactly what they did. I talk about this in my book. You have to destroy the masculine principle, which is the head of the family. That's part of it. The other part is to get rid of the environment and the ways and means for the head or the authority of that family to become and stay the authority and the head of that family. And that is to be the provider and the protector. Take away his means of providing. Take away his means of protecting his family. And he no longer has any rights or any kind of uh, power. So when you have done that, you have now undermined the glue that keeps the family together. Men don't have to be men anymore. So what's the best thing to do? Since you're giving so many favors to women, I might as well be a woman. If whites are involved in their genetic survival, and they are threatened by black male masculinity, then it will occur, I have to reduce his masculinity. Yeah, we just recently had the president at Morehouse have to say the male students cannot wear high heel shoes and dresses and carry purses. So something is happening again within the total context of a system of racism and white supremacy. Neely Fuller, who wrote the uh, textbook for victims of racism, a number of years ago, in, 19, in the late mid-70s, he used to say in the system, because he was the first person to talk about racism as a system, and he said that as the system of racism and white supremacy moves on, the system is going to have black men wearing dresses. Now, to hear that in the 70s, people said, oh, this is way out. And here we are. You see, there's some black pediatricians who are saying we are developing epidemic levels of the effeminization of young black males. Well, I say the pants sagging it, sagging down, is just a subconscious invitation for homosexuality. You see, it's revealing the buttocks. See, so the pants are getting lower and lower and lower. The next step is to step out of the pants altogether. And so you step out of the pants, you're going to put on a dress. The effeminization is an essential ingredient of white genetic survival. And the only thing that can prevent it is black people becoming conscious or becoming determined that this is not going to happen to them because if the black men are destroyed, then the black people are gone, and we have the state of genocide. It's like when I see that they put every black man in the movies in a dress, 
at some point in their career. I'll be connecting them down like, why are all these brothers going to wear a dress? This happened to me. I'm doing a movie with Martin. Yeah. The movie's going good. So I walk in a trailer. I'm like, man, this must be the wrong trailer because there's a dress in here. <laughs> they come in. The writer comes in. I think he's the writer. He's like, Dave, listen, we got this hilarious scene where Martin's sneaking out of jail. So he disguises you as a prostitute. <laughs> and he put this dress on. And, it, huh? What? The prostitute? No, nah, I'm not doing that. I don't feel comfortable with that. That should have been in a discussion. What? You don't feel comfortable with it. I mean, it's a hilarious bit. All the greats have done it. So, well, if all the greats have done it, it's kind of hacky, right? You're right. So why don't we just not do it? Because I don't feel comfortable wearing a dress. Oh, come on, Dave. Listen, we, we got it all set up. We're supposed to shoot. Every, every minute you waste costs this much money. You know, the pressure comes in. Huh. I'm, now I'm not wearing no dress, man. I'm funnier than a dress. Just give me something funny to say. I don't even wear no dress to be funny. What am I, Milton Burrow? You know, we're going like this. And then finally he's like, ah, and he, he leaves. And then, like, the director comes, Dave, it really would be great if you wear the dress. What is wrong? What is this, a uh, broke back mountain in here? So, wear the dress. I want to wear the dress. I want to wear this dress. You know what I mean? Oh, gosh, this guy's so difficult. They leave. Now the producers comes, come on, David, would be so great. I mean, and then I started thinking about it. All the comics that I've seen, man, you know, strong... Brothers, why, was, why are you putting us in these dresses? But the minute it was clear, I was adamant, I'm not wearing a dress. I'm not wearing the dress. All right, fine. Think of something else. That comes back ten minutes later. The whole new scene, how, damn, how did you write the scene so fast? You know, it's like, so you got to take a stand.
I don't know what the hell, niggas been sniffing, jiggas still dipping, chrome on the whips and four days out the week, find me in the kitchen, still in the game, nigga, hook like glue, poppy gave me one pie, but it cooked like two, I'm a crook like you, cast around my way was buying brand new whips and shit, what could I do, knowing I'm supposed to style, I'm the hustler's poster child, rock lizards and crocodile, live ironic and whatnot, put all that ice on the face of a watch, just to make it hot, now you see me on them stage, Rocks in the air looking like blue lasers Never fool gazes, act courageous I smack them with the two aces, Mac double one Nigga, I'm troublesome All I got for chicks, hard dick and bubble gum Flip bricks like Fred, Barney, Rubble and them It's the Rockefeller click, what's fucking with them? Not a damn thing, nigga, we doing our damn thing Black, uh-huh, 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 how we do? Come on Sounds so beautiful, don't you agree, ladies and gentlemen? Well, they call me J-Ho because the flow is religious Never since I was 16, I was holding digits I've seen the industry clearer As if I had coke in the trunk and cops in the rear mirror I slow flows y'all to death So y'all hoes know who's best Jigger, the flow be Ivan Dito For the mommies, I oblate Espanol, Vichito Oh, at day, I got timing like a Segway Now holla back, baby uh-huh, uh-huh. Jay-Z, you motherfucking right In the darkest nights, let off my gun for light The God y'all through, show you how it's done I'm the question and the answer like I'm a son Just be private ones, no gates to lift So when I take flight, it's from hang with this Bang with this, wake up with one in your brain And the cocaine flow straight, numbing your pain This ain't your speed, young man Running your lane, so I could come through doing a hundred and change. I put one in your brain, picture that. Who's running the game? Let's get to that. I guess we won in the same, a million and one. Once again, Novocaine flow, ho, you ain't know. Like a baller and an impala, jigger remain low. Then I pop up, tear your block up, and kick off like soccer. In the range road, switch hoes like ankles. To the next time, nigga. I hit y'all with a million more. Don't even think about changing the station. You're listening to The Bottom Line with your host, Joey L. Take out a dollar. Turn it, turn it all on the back side. Look up in the right-hand corner of over the eagle's head. What do you see? All right. As the law of correspondence, as above, so below, as within, so without, as without, so within. When you get power of the Spirit, from the Spirit, you have power in heaven, which is in mind, as well as power on the earth, which is in body. Very important to understand that because the power you're receiving is not to rule somebody else, it's to rule yourself. To heal yourself. To master yourself. To transform yourself. That's what power is for. Then, go heal someone else. 
if you need a, a patient, it, it, it is you. <laughs> if you need some pupils, you got them. <laughs> if you want to do any teaching, work on you. That's your goal. You are your own responsibility. The greatest, most important person you'll ever meet down here is you. <laughs> you must save you. Even the sister that goes to church is saving herself. But there's so much more that you can do besides go to church. I don't knock church. I'm glad it's there because it, it, it's a, a, a God sin and a God save for black folks. The church is an intricate part of our predicament in the Western Hemisphere. We are, most assuredly, as history relates, a spiritual people. Religion is the beginning of spirituality. Unfortunately, it appears it's becoming uh, interference <laughs> until that reverend finds out more or lets folks know he knows more, one or the other. Some of them short step it. Some of them do know and not tell him. I don't want to get into that. I'm getting all off here. Okay. And, and something uh, a, a yogi master said, his spirit told him when he came home very tired one night, I mean worn out, and he laid down to, to go to sleep. He was too tired to pray, too tired to meditate, and the spirit told him to turn over and meditate. And he started hemming and hawing and so forth, and the spirit told him again, meditate. And being a practiced individual discipline and knowing that there's something special about those moments he turned over and meditated spirit shot him out there in the infinity <laughs> yeah, and hooked him up you know we're not listening to whom we're supposed to be listening to we're listening to the things that worry and trouble us the things that confuse us occupy much of our minds. There's an answer for every question. There's a solution to every problem. Where is it? Inside. There's no more God out here than there is in there. Now, I'm going to tell you something important because, see, Somehow, we don't think we're supposed to get rich unless we work and save our money. And that's a practical, good way to do so. And, and I'm not going to knock that, you know. You know, as, as much as I dislike eight hours a day, <laughs> it's practical and it's significant and it gives a sense of purpose and direction. Wealth is given. It is not earned. It is given to the one who asks for it. Oprah is rich because Oprah asked for it. Here's an excellent example of just the opposite. Six or seven white guys in Cleveland, Ohio, pool their resources together to buy lottery tickets for that weekend's 
20 million. They went in, bought the tickets, came out of the store with the tickets. One of them suggested to the group, hey, we spent too much money on these tickets. Let's cash some of them back in. They did. And they took the winning ticket back to the store. It wasn't their money. Look at the game shows. First, look at the games that paid dividends, money. Look at them. While we sit here, somebody's getting rich. And I want you to think about that instead of somebody tricking you out of your check. Money is an idea. How many ideas can you contain? What is it that brings you your good? It is desire. What are you passionate about? What is it that you really love with all your feelings? Can you transfer that to money? Yes, you can, if you want to. You can give money and won't be able to keep it. You can get rich and lose it all. Perfect example of D Dennis Rodman is still trying his best to destroy the blessings that something gave him. This man got on national television and told the world that he thought he did not belong in the NBA. And he's not in there anymore. One of the best rebounders in the NBA. You know, systematically, this man kept trying to destroy everything that something was giving him. He was doing it to himself, the, not the white boy. He was doing it to himself. Very good. The power of the word, the spoken word. And we need to control that faculty. Huh? Because we take words and throw them like daggers. And they get results.
in my body and used to say, fuck my skills. I never prayed to God, I prayed to God. He, that's right, it's wicked. That's life, I live it. Ain't asking for forgiveness for my sins. And I break bread with the lay hands, picking their brains for angles and all the evils that the game would do. It gets dangerous. Money and power is changing us. And that was lethal, infected with the evil. Give me, give me the Statutes 
um, to give people back the right, the constitutional right to carry, right? And they, they took the constitutional right to carry away um, in states like New York and California. Um, and, you know, it is unconstitutional. And, you know, I come from, the place I, place I come from, like everybody's carrying. You don't know who's carrying. And the fact of the matter is, is that um, we don't have statutes around here for that no more, right? All that stuff is done, right? So the fact is that the governor made it with federal law, right? Enforcement agents couldn't come in and um, essentially interfere right with that so i wanted to look at this tonight because i think that if we can we can really dive into this tonight uh, i want to give you the perspective as i see it and we're going to look at serenity in this and i'm going to play a little bit of this case for you and, and hopefully uh, you you will walk away from this lecture tonight with a better understanding of how to protect your own rights, right? Which is which is crucial, right? Now, the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution protects your right to bear arms, right? It was ratified on December the fifteenth, seventeen ninety one, okay? Um, and when it was ratified, they ratified nine other articles of the Bill of Rights, okay? So if you go look at the case, the District of Columbia versus Heller, right, which was a, a landmark ruling, right, and it was that the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution protects an individual's right to keep and bear arms, right, unconnected with uh, service in the militia, right, which traditionally was what they say they wrote it for, right, but means in your own private capacity, and this is where um, the gun trust comes in, right? So what we're talking about tonight will will help you with how you do the trust, all right? Now, the Supreme Court affirmed for the first time ever, right, that the right belongs to individuals for self-defense in the home. And it, that extends to the property, which would be like your car, right, or your person, okay? Um also including what they call uh, dicta, right, which is, you know, it's the right that is not unlimited, right, and it, and it doesn't preclude the existence of long-standing prohibitions, and so when we talk about prohibitions, you can go back and look at the National Firearms Act that was done in 1934, right, and this will help you to understand better um, what the prohibition on your actual gun rights were and are to this day, right? Okay. So, as we get into this conversation, right, we have to understand that you have state and local governments, right, who essentially uh, pass ex post facto laws, you know, do it all the time from how you're supposed to register your vehicles to how you're supposed to carry your guns, right? And if you look at certain Supreme Court cases like McDonald versus City of Chicago, things like that, what you will see is that state and local governments are limited 
okay, to the same extent as the federal government is, right? And they cannot infringe on your right. It's, it's, it's a private right, right? So the Second Amendment was based partially on the right to keep and bear arms. Um, and, and this was this was really big in the English common law, right? And if you go back and look at the English Bill of Rights of 1689, right, this was also a landmark act in England where they dealt with the constitutional law, right, which sets out certain basic rights. It clarifies uh, who will be next to inherit the crown, all right? So very specific, and, and, and you know, I know a lot of people, um, there's a stigma on, on England and uh, why a lot of people came over here from England, but you all must remember that a lot of your ancestors who were Moors were running the crown, okay? So we, we really have to get this, right? So uh, they, they call it an auxiliary right, right? So this is a, a, a natural right of self-defense, right? And resistance to shit like oppression. Um, it was the civic duty, right, for you to be able to act in concert in defense of the state, right? So they would say, okay, well, well, people need guns, right? Because how do you keep a state free? How do you defend a state, right, if, if the people don't have guns, right? So um, this is really important, right? And, and if you look at, you know, uh, King James used to say, uh, right, the state is me, right? So we have to understand that, right? Because all rights enumerated in the Constitution are auxiliary in the eyes of the English common law, okay? This goes back to the Blackstone and all of that shit, okay? So if you look at, um, go back and look at the history of Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, Georgia, Connecticut, Right, far back in 1780, 1788 roughly, right, the Constitution, okay, and those states were ratified without insisting upon amendments. So there were no gun amendments, right? So several amendments at that time were proposed, but they weren't adopted, okay? So, for example, um, the Pennsylvania Convention, right, when they were working on their Constitution, they debated 15 amendments. One of which of those amendments, right, is concerned the right of the people to be armed, another with the militia. So uh, then you go to the Massachusetts Convention, right, when they ratified that constitution uh, with an attached list of proposed amendments, right? Um, and in the end, the ratification convention was, was so evenly divided between those um, – Against the Constitution, that people who they call the Federalists, and this is where you get your Federalist Papers from. So if you never had a chance to go check out the Federalist Papers, you should go look at those. Right? But they had a house divided. So, and if you look at the, the ratification uh, convention, uh, this was the convention of 168 delegates from Virginia who met in 1788 to ratify or reject the United States Constitution, which had been drafted. Um, in Philly at that time, right? So there's a, there's a lot of history in Philly um, in terms of what actually happened. So what, what we really got to get here is that the the idea of gun rights 
has been such an issue for so long, right? It, it seems like this shit ain't never going to go away. But it, anybody who, who's really paying attention, you, you would know that one of the main reasons why there is such an issue with this is because, you know, you have certain individuals in society who don't want you to be armed, okay? Now, in the United States versus Krushenak, this is a case in 1876, the Supreme Court ruled that, quote, the right to bear arms is not granted by the Constitution. Neither is it in any manner dependent upon uh, the instrument for its existence. Okay, so the Second Amendment means no more that it shall not be infringed on by Congress. Okay, so basically, um, the powers of the national government couldn't restrict it, right? And there are so many cases about this, it would probably blow your mind uh, in terms of your gun rights and protecting your rights and all that good stuff, right? <clears throat> so, as we go through this tonight, I want it to be known that um, there are several versions of the actual text of the Second Amendment, right? Um, and each version says something different, right? And it's really important because what they say is a well-regulated militia, okay? And they say that the well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state, right? The right of the people to keep and bear arms should never be infringed. Um, so if you look at um, – and I think – hopefully I'm saying it right. It's, it's called Posse Comitatus, right? And Posse Comitatus um, – it was actually the Posse Comitatus Act, right? It was the United States federal laws under 18 U.S.C. 1985, uh, 20 Stat 152. It was signed on June 18, 1878 by President uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, right? And – this basically limits the powers of the federal government in the use of federal military personnel to enforce domestic policies within the United States. So the act was passed as an amendment to the Army Appropriation Bill following the Reconstruction Act. Okay, So it's really important to understand that when, when it was writing the Constitution and they had all of these different ratifications, right, the ratification from New York – Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, all of them contained only one comma, right? But they had differences in in the capitalizations, right? And so that's you see, so you, as we know, lowercase, uppercase is a big deal, right? But Pennsylvania Act states, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, comma. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Okay. But in Maryland, they wrote a well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, shall not be infringed. Right? So the ratification act from New Jersey don't have no commas. It straight up says a well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Right, so we have to understand that this has been an issue for a long time because just a simple comma 
in a ratification of an amendment to a constitutional right, a constitutional, a constitutionally protected right, has the power to control whether or not the quote unquote people can carry a firearm. Okay, so if you go back to colonial America and we're dealing with the settlers, right? The settlers viewed the right um, to arms and the right to bear arms um, or the militia as important, right? Um, for one or more purposes, right? And so the purposes that they, and this is in no particular order, but the purposes that they said were enabling the people to organize the militia system, um, safeguarding against a tyrannical government, right? Participating in law enforcement, uh, repelling invasions, suppressing insurrections, right? Allegedly, uh, the slave revolts, right? So anytime you see insurrection, that meant when the slaves would revolt and they would rise up. So you can see that in a lot of the slave movies when the slaves would rise up, right? Okay, it was all about political power, right? We got to keep, we got to keep the power, right? Um, participating in law enforcement. Um, and, and, and if you go back to slave revolts, right, there's a lot of scholars that claim um, specific intent to protect uh, the ability to put down slave revolts was not supported in historical records. Right? And then the last one would have been uh, facilitating the natural right of self-defense. Okay. So go back and look at the Pennsylvania Constitution of 1776, and you'll see where it asserted that the people have the right to bear arms for the defense of themselves and the state. Okay. So you go back and look like the loyalists, right? Loyalists or American colonists who who remained loyal to Britain, to the crown, during the American Revolutionary War, right? Um, They often refer to these people as loyalists, right? And there was a, a big deal between who was a loyalist and who was quote unquote a patriot, and this is where you get, um, you know, that's where you get people who say, "Oh, that's that patriot shit." <laughs> right? Isn't it amazing, right? Because they say, "Oh, that's that patriot shit." Right? Now, um, British and loyalists, right, had, had an effort to disarm the colonies in the beginning, right, and so a lot of the colonies. They didn't want them to have guns, right? And this is how far back this thing goes, right? Um, and this is where your Declaration of Rights came from, right? And your Bill of Rights, this is where all that came from, right? Because a lot of these people were fighting when they came over here. And you have to remember, a lot of these people came over here as cargo, right? And so when they came over here as cargo, they didn't have no, no, no inherent rights. A lot of them were fighting for their rights, right, along with fighting with the aboriginals that were here that was killing them off, okay? So this is a big deal, right? You go back and look at Virginia's constitution, and it lists the reasons for dissolving ties with the king of England, right? And I, if you go on my Instagram, I posted a video about this recently, about um, the United States and Great Britain and all of that, right? But, but Virginia, one of the things was... Um, they wanted to be their own independent state government, right? Um, keeping among um, themselves in times of peace, spanning armies and ships of war, right? Stuff like that, right? Affecting 
to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. Okay. I mean, this is, this goes back to the beginning. Now, I'll tell y'all something. One of the things that, that people tend to forget is that every state has the military. Right? Every state has, I'll say it again, every state has the military. Okay? So, and, you know, we, we tend to forget that states have their own militaries in times of war because of what happened with the Civil War, right? And states rising up against states. Okay? So, um, Pennsylvania, 1776, uh, Article 13 of their constitution, they wrote that the people have the right to bear arms for the defense of themselves and the state, and as a standing army in time of peace, are dangerous to liberty. And it says that they ought not to be kept up, and that the military should be kept under strict subordination and governed by the civil power. So this is the first instance um, in the relationship between the United States constitutional law and the state where they use the phrase the right to bear arms, okay? And if you go look at Article 43 of the Pennsylvania Constitution, it said that the inhabitants of this state shall have the liberty to foul and hunt in seasonable times on the lands they hold into all other lands. So one of the main things that they wanted guns for in the beginning was so that they could eat. Right? People were starving. There was no food for them. All right, so that that was one of the first things. All right, um, so and, and then we can talk about the Quakers. Excuse me, the Quaker colony, right, which traditionally opposed bearing arms. All right, and the Quakers settled in Pennsylvania, right, and this is where you get William Penn, right, um, and they had a great experiment, right. They called it the Holy Experiment, right, as they termed it. And this was to test on a scale of considerable magnitude um, how practical it was, right, for uh, for governing a state on the same principles of the Christian religion, where where the executive uh, should be sustained without arms, right? We, we see how well that worked out, right? Um, so you got to understand that the right to bear arms has been an issue for a very very long time. Right? And, and it's not something that you know, it's not something that um that's new. Okay. So as we get into this, um, I just kinda wanna set the tone for some of the history here. Right? And because it's a it's an argument on um, and you can go back and look at the Articles of Confederation, right? I mean it's even in there, right? Okay, because there was the fear that the federal government, by neglecting to upkeep the militia, could have overwhelming military force, right? And they didn't want the government to have so much military force on the people that it encroached on people's rights, right? And so they, they wrote that, uh, they said that no vessel of war shall be kept up in a time of peace by any state except such numbers only. Uh, as shall be deemed necessary by the United States and Congress assembled for the defense of such state or its trade, nor shall any body of forces be kept up by any state in time of peace, 
except such numbers only as in judgment of the United States in Congress assembled, and shall be deemed requisite uh, to garrison the ports necessary for the defense of the state. But every state shall always keep up a well-regulated militia, a disciplined militia, sufficiently armed and recruited, and shall provide and constantly have ready for use in public stores uh, a due number of field pieces and tents, proper quantity of arms, ammunition, camp equipment, and so on and so forth, right? So if you look in contrast to that, you'll see Article 1, Section 8, Clause 16 of the United States Constitution, and it says something similar to what they put in the Article of the Confederation, and it said to provide for organizing, arming, disciplining the militia, governing such parts of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, uh, reserving to the states respectively, the appointment of the officers, and the authority of training the militia according to a discipline uh, that's prescribed by Congress. Okay. So basically they was trying to keep tearing down. They was also trying to keep slaves from running the hell off, right? <clears throat> okay. Um, if you go look at that movie, and this is, this is a good one, you know, some of it's loosely based, but go look at the movie Glory, right, when, they, when Denzel, right, that old movie Glory, right? And they show you in there how a lot of the troops that were fighting in the wars, they didn't even want to get them guns. Okay? Because, see, the Second Amendment was written to assure that the southern states, right, would not undermine... Right, the slave system, and that Congress would undermine it. Right, so everybody was in, in uh, align with each other. Okay, okay, and they, they didn't want Congress to to step in with their quote new uh, authority that they had. Right, and destroy what was going on on these plantations with these slaves. Now, there's a deep history with slavery in this country, as we know, right? But they wanted to avoid arming free black people. Right. Now, if you go back and, and look in the Pennsylvania records, right? According to Pennsylvania attorney, uh, his name is Anthony Picadillo, Okay, The southern states would have never ratified the Second Amendment if it hadn't been understood as creating an individual right to own firearms because of their fear of arming free blacks, right? So the emphasis on the phrase a well-regulated militia introduced the Second Amendment, okay? So slave owners feared that enslaved blacks might be emancipated through military service, and then a few years earlier, there had been a precedent uh, that was said, right, which offered freedom to slaves who escaped and then joined the armed forces, right? And, and they said, we'll, we'll give liberty to slaves if they came and joined, right? So free slaves served under under um, George Washington. Okay? I mean, th- that's what I said. This shit goes, th- this, is a, this is a deep history when we talk about what actually happened in this country, right, when it comes to that. All right, so with that being said, right, now that we got a little bit of the history, right, but I want to talk a little bit about the right to self-defense. And, and 
You know, this is this is important, right? Because there's a lot of you know, you go places like New York, especially California, though, right, where the gangs are overwhelming. They got a lot of gangs here. Believe it or not, I was actually told recently that there's more gangs in Kansas City, Kansas than all of LA. Surprisingly. But the issue of and they kill each other left and right. Um you know, in the Midwest, unfortunately. But there are more gangs there than are in places like L.A. and New York. But subsequently, there are more people there, right? So um, if we look at the District of Columbia, because they took their gun rights away there, right? Um, look at the case, District of Columbia versus Keller. Justice Scalia, right, the justice there, he delivered the opinion of the court. Um, and he says, we consider whether the District of Columbia prohibition on the possession of Usable guns in the home violates the Second Amendment to the Constitution. So the District of Columbia, and we know it's a district, right? It's not, it's not a state. They've been looking at the state here for a long time, right? So the District of Columbia generally prohibits the possession of handguns, right? And they say that it's a crime to carry an unregistered firearm, and that the registration of handguns is prohibited. So if you go look at DC Code Seven Dash. 2501, uh, 2502, 2502.2, and, and uh, 2001A4, right? It said that wholly apart from the prohibition, no person may carry a handgun without a license, but the chief of police may issue licenses for a one-year period. Now, for a while here, what they was doing before um, in the Midwest, um, was you had to go to the sheriff to get a to get a carry and concealed, and then they they did away with the requirement for that, and they said, well, if you want reciprocity in other states, then you can go to the sheriff and get a carry and concealed, and you can travel to certain states with your handgun as long as you have a carry and concealed under the reciprocity laws. Yeah, now, free slave is an oxymoron, right? But Fourteenth Amendment um, implemented slavery in another fashion. Right now, um, Dick Heller, right in D.C., um, which is a special police officer in D.C., was authorized to carry a handgun while on duty at the Federal Judicial Center. Right, so he applied for a registration certificate for a handgun that he wished to keep at home, but the district refused him that right. Right, so thereafter he filed a lawsuit in the federal district. For the District of Columbia, seeking on the Second Amendment grounds to enjoin the city from enforcing the bar on the registration of handguns. It's kind of the same thing that's going on in New York right now, right? Okay. Um, so the licensing requirement, as it prohibits the carrying of a firearm in the home without a license, and then the trigger lock requirement, right, as it prohibits the use of functional firearms uh, within the home. So the Second Amendment, as we talked about earlier, provides for a well-regulated militia being necessary to secure um, a free state, right? The right of the people to keep their arms should not be infringed. Now, when they interpreted the text, right, the judge said, we are guided by the principle that the Constitution is written to be understood by the voters. Its words and phrases were used in their normal, ordinary Distinguished from technical meanings, right? Basically from legalese, right? Normal meaning may, of course, include a 
idiomatic means, but it excludes uh, secret technical means that would basically not have been known by ordinary people because they don't know legalese. Okay, so the Second Amendment is naturally divided into two parts. It's, it's preparatory clause, and then it's what they call it, it's operative clause, right? So the, the former, the preparatory clause, does not limit the latter. And we're talking about grammatically, this is where they use commas and shit like that, right? But the amendment could be rephrased because a well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms should not be infringed. So logic demands that there be a link between the stated purpose and the command. But apart from the clarifying functions of this, right, a preparatory clause does not limit or expand the scope of the operative clause. You understand? So while we begin our, our, our analysts here tonight, right, the operative clause, we're going to return to that. And we'll look at the, the preparatory clause, right? It's important for us to really see what the hell is going on, right? So the, the right of the people um, is, is what they call it. This is an unamended constitution, right? You go back and look at the Bill of Rights, the right of the people, all that good stuff, okay? Um, and, and if you look at the – you can even look at the gun trust shit, right? You look at gun trust and, and what a gun trust was set up for Right, and this is why people start setting up gun trusts, right? Was because a lot of times we're talking about private rights, right? And so, um, you know, if you didn't want them to infringe on private rights, you would set up a gun trust to keep your firearms safe at home. So then they could never say, oh, well, you have a gun here at your house, you own it, right? So it's just, this is one of the main reasons why people started setting up gun trusts. NRA, NFA, excuse me, and all that good stuff. Um, I also got a, I got a template for that too, so I'll I'll put that out so people can get that because it'll be important to use that. All right, all right. So what I want to do is I want to play a little bit of this clip tonight from this case. All right, I don't want to do a whole bunch of lecturing on this tonight. I, I really want you to hear what some of these people got to say about gun rights. Okay. Um, because it's important that that we understand the opinions on it, right? So we'll, we'll take a little bit of time and we'll listen to what they got to say, right? About it, right? But I want you to understand that when you're listening to this, understand that the Second Amendment provides, right, uh, for a right that should not be infringed upon, right? So this is applicable to to private individuals, right? So until very recently, okay, uh, the amendment, let's go look at the Heller case, right? The amendment had never been recognized by the Supreme Court as giving private citizens the right to keep and bear arms, okay? So if you go look at the 2008 case, which which is a five-to-four vote, under the District of Columbia versus Heller, the court struck down the District of Columbia's strict gun control laws on the Second Amendment grounds. Okay, so the majority, the five, okay, uh, the judges, they asserted that the inherent right of self-defense has been central to the Second Amendment and concluded that the amendment confers on private individuals a right to keep 
basic firearms, including handguns, at home for self-defense. Okay? So if you look at, and it's really interesting, right? Because if you look at the term uh, firearm, right? Certain arms, right? You know, they, 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 what they've done is, they've done it in a way where they still want to have control over people and what people do, right? So you go look at the National Firearms Act. It was under the 73rd Congress, Session 2, Chapter 757, 48, Stat 1236. It was enacted on June 26, 1934, okay? And then it, it was codified, okay, and amended into the IRC Chapter 53. So it's even in the Internal Revenue Code, okay, because they put it under the firearms, tobacco, all that shit, right? But the law is an act of Congress in the United States with general uh, general uh, uh, provisions that impose an excise tax on manufacturing and transfer of firearms, certain firearms, right? And then it mandates the registration of those firearms. Right? So the NFA is also referred to um, as Title II of the Federal Firearms Law what they call the Gun Control Act of 1968, right, which is a U.S. federal law that regulates the firearms industry and the firearms ownership, right? So due to constitutional limitations, the act is primarily based on regulating interstate commerce and firearms by generally prohibiting interstate firearms transfer, meaning you can't just sell a firearm from one state to another. So I'll give you an example. If you go buy um, a firearm in one state that's right next to your state, um, you can't take it home the same day, right? You have to wait. If you have to go and pick it up from somebody, this is, and this is specifically what I had to do. I had to wait, then I had to go pick it up from someone who was a registered dealer with, with the company that sold the gun, right? And I actually picked it up from some guy's house. There were like three or four people who were picking up their guns. It was really strange, right? But I bought it from Cabela's. So I bought the gun from Cabela's. Cabela's was like, oh, okay, are you a resident of this state? I said, no, I'm not. Okay? They said, okay, cool. Well, you're going to be ready in about four or five days. You go pick it up. Went and picked it up. So um, and then I took it back. To the state I was in, right? Well, because of the National Firearms Act, right, the NFA, um, you cannot go buy a gun from one place to another. So gun control is a big deal. So listen, they say, okay, well, we can't step on your on your Second Amendment rights, but we'll control it with statutes, right, through NFA. So transfer of ownership of registered firearms has to be done through National Firearms Registration. And, and transfer records, right? This is why you can't go just buy some shit off the streets, right? Because this shit fuck around be hot, number one. It might, it might have been used to hurt somebody or in a robbery or some shit like that. But then they want to keep track of where the gun went. So people got around that and they said, well, fuck this. We're just going to start creating gun trust. And we'll just do transfer of ownership through gun trust. And this is what they started doing, right? So... Um, Go look at the NFA, and you go look at how things are structured, right? The government has always tried to maintain some sense of control over people in their private rights, 
whether it's the registration of your gun, the registration of your car, uh, registration of of, of of anything that they could consider uh, to be used in commerce, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, Explosives, any of that shit, right? Okay? So these are things that we got to really understand, is then we'll begin to understand uh, why the Second Amendment to the Constitution is important, but even more so, why are trust important? And you may even want to create a separate trust just for your guns. Right? All right. So uh, what we'll do, and, and like I said, the, the NFA, and, and I, I recommend that you take your time to go look at it. Again, I'll run it down to you again. It's the 73rd Congress, Session 2, Chapter 757, 48, Stat, 1236. It was enacted June 26, 1934, and then it came back later, okay, into the Gun Control Act of 1968, okay. Now, um, and like I said, this, this deals with the interstate commerce. So the Gun Control Act, which was signed by Lyndon B. Johnson, okay, and you know anything about Lyndon B. Johnson, then you should understand um, <coughs> LBJ was, you know, LBJ was LBJ, right? But he, he was under Kennedy, okay? So he came in office after Kennedy. So that tells you anything. He was he was, he was was his successor, right? So the, the National Firearms Act of 1934, um, and, and LBJ was a motherfucker. Let me just put it to you like that, right? Um, but, but, but when they actually passed the... the the National Firearms Act, and then they came 30 years later, and they did the Gun Control Act of 1968, right? Both of those, the, the GCA and the NFA, were to enforce shit like prohibition, okay? Because you got to remember, in the 30s, you had a whole bunch of gangsters running around shooting each other up and shit. They was blowing each other up, left and right. You go look at any old gangster movie from the 30s, these motherfuckers was blowing each other up, right? Even in Kansas City. Right, wall front. Right, big gangs in town. That's what they was doing. They was blowing each other up left and right. Right. Okay, so the Gun Control Act, when they put it in place, it, it was done to repeal the Federal Firearms Act of 1938. Okay, so a lot of these provisions are really important, right? Because the bill was initially um, put in place by the assassination of the president. Okay. So the president, they shot and killed him, right, with a rifle that was purchased by what they called a mail order from an ad in the magazine called American American Rifleman. I want you to look at that word, American, right? So then they had all these congressional hearings that followed um, to ban mail order guns. So you couldn't order a gun through the mail, right? It's actually works the same way today. You can't just get online. And buy a gun online and have it sent right to you. You gotta go through a series of steps before they just send the gun to you. Because I mean, you can get online and buy some, some serious firearms, right? So all of this shit is really crucial for us to really get it right. See, the Second Amendment, right, is put in place to protect your private right to bear arms. But they didn't think about, well, well, what about if they want to transfer, you know, and all that. 
and, and then I want you to also think about this, the assassination of uh, Martin Luther King, okay, which was shortly followed by assassination of Robert Kennedy. Okay, all of that stuff was done to help shift how society looked at gun control. Right, um, go look at House Resolution one seven seven seven. Oh, excuse me, 17735, which is the Gun Control Act, which was signed by Lyndon Johnson October the 22nd, 1968. And this is where specifically banned mail order sales and rifles and uh, shotguns. Okay. This is also where they started prohibiting felons from owning guns, uh, drug users, okay, and people who they said was mentally incompetent. Okay? So then they had um, in the act what they called the prohibited persons, right? So if you was a prohibited person, like they said, it was unlawful for any person to sell or otherwise dispose of a firearm or ammunition to any person knowing or having reasonable cause to believe that such person is, number one, under indictment for or has been convicted in any court um, of a crime punishable by, by some type of imprisonment for a term exceeding one year, two, that that person was a fugitive from justice, three, that um, it was unlawful, right, for a user or somebody that was addicted to a controlled substance. And remember, the controlled substance, right, was something that they did under the Controlled Substance Act under Section 102. It was 21 U.S.C. 802, and the Controlled Substance Act, right, was done under the, the gun, firearms, ammunition. Right, all of that stuff, right? Tobacco, firearms, explosives, beer, alcohol, all of that shit, right? So not only did they say, well, we're smoking marijuana, we can say it's a controlled substance, and so then we can then control what they're doing with their firearm, right? You may also say um, anybody that was adjudicated as being mentally defective, right, or had committed. Or have been or have been committed to a mental institution at any point in time. Okay. Um, anybody who was an alien or who was illegally or unlawfully in the United States. Okay. Um, except that was provided under subsection Y two. Anybody that had been admitted to the United States under what they call a non immigrant visa. Okay. Um Anybody who was discharged from the armed services, the armed forces, under dishonorable conditions. I got cousins that was dishonorably discharged. I, matter of fact, I think next time I talked to one of them, I asked their ass, do you got a gun, nigga? <laughs> right? I'm going to ask him. And, and it makes you wonder, right, how, how effective um, some of this stuff is banned because, like, go back and look at the dude from LA. I remember the dude from LA, black dude from LA, a few years ago, right? He got fired from the police department. He was ex-military. He went and shot up the police in LA. I remember that, and they killed him. Same type of shit, right? Then they also said anybody who's been um, having been a citizen of the United States or somebody who renounced their citizenship. Look at that. Okay, but then they try to say, oh, well, this person, they renounced their citizenship, so they got to go to jail. Well, wait, wait a minute. This is another reason why gun trust can't be applied. Uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm just trying to get this because this ties right into the nationality shit. This ties right into all of the stuff that's been taught over the course of what the last ten years between me, Jonah Bay, Roosevelt, all of the stuff that's been taught. You go back and look, right? It's right in their laws where they try to make it where you cannot protect yourself. Okay? Now, they also said that if you were a subject of a court order that restrains a person from harassing, stalking, uh, threatening, threatening an intimate partner, right, such as um, bodily harm, harm to a child, engaging in conduct that would uh, place an intimate partner in reasonable fear of bodily or intimate harm, Right, the partner of a or a child, um, right, any of that, right. So if you had a restraining order against your ass, right, if if, if you was a threat to somebody's physical safety, okay. Um, then another one was if you had been convicted in any court of a misdemeanor crime or domestic violence. You see how they keep trying to limit people's rights, right? So a person should not have been considered to have been convicted of such an offense for purposes of this chapter if the conviction if the conviction the conviction had been expunged, right? Or set aside. Okay. So uh marijuana laws, right? You go look at the ATF, right? Um all this Right, so like for instance, if you held and, and this is this is a recent thing that they're doing too. So if you held a medical marijuana card, right, under 18 U.S.C. 922 G3, okay, if there was shipping, transporting, receiving, possessing a firearm or ammunition by medical marijuana card holders, your ass couldn't have a gun, and they're still doing this today. That's one of the reasons why, I mean, y'all know me. I used to smoke a lot of weed. I used to smoke weed. Ain't no, you know, ain't no secret. Right? You said cut out the tongue. You don't need to worry about a gun. <laughs> I hear you. Right? I mean, but look, I, I used to smoke weed. And, and I can tell you, not once did I ever think about, never in my life have I ever thought about, oh, I need to shoot somebody. Or, or, or did marijuana make me violent, right? Not once. Right? Marijuana doesn't make people violent. And if you've ever seen a motherfucker violent off marijuana, I'm sure that they probably had that shit dipped with something else. Right? So, according to 18 U.S.C. 922X, it generally prohibits people under the age of 18 from possessing handguns or handgun ammunition with certain exceptions for employment, target practice, education, um, handguns possessed while defending the home of the juvenile or home in which they are invited guests. Okay, so <clears throat> y'all remember the, y'all remember the Brady Bunch, right? They did what was called the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act. It was done in 1993. Okay, this was the the um, this was the act by Congress to to mandate background checks on people. You know, they started doing that in 93, right? And then they did the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, which is the NICS system. Okay. So, I mean, this has been going on for a long time, 
where we talk about, yeah, the Second Amendment is in place. And people say, well, it's just the Second Amendment, and why is it, you know, the Second Amendment get rid of everything else? Right, marijuana is illegal for sure. But you would think, okay, well, the Second Amendment gets rid of everything else, right? But see, we forget that just because you're using the Second Amendment doesn't mean that they won't use their ex post facto codes, which are unconstitutional because they were created after the fact. Against you. Yeah, call it marijuana, call it hemp, call it whatever you want to call it. Niggas be smoking it and they be getting high. Right? So, Alright, so just I just want y'all to understand this, right? And it's like I said, this is important. The Gun Control Act nineteen sixty eight. Okay. Federal laws they put in place. The National Firearms Act of 1934. Okay. These were acts they put in place long after the Second Amendment was done, after the ratifications of the Second Amendment were done, after the states put their Second Amendments and their Bill of Rights in place. Okay. So what we're going to do is I'm going to play some clips for y'all because I want y'all to hear um, stuff that's going on right now, right? So if you live in New York, if you live anywhere on the East Coast, this shit pertains to you. Fortunately, I live in an area of the country where um, they've done away with that shit, right? Right? Um, and let me see if I can just... Let me see if I can put it up here, right? So here it is, right? So... Missouri Republicans Governor Mike Parsons on Saturday signed a bill banning local police from enforcing federal gun rules, a change Democrats have predicted will be shot down in courts. Parsons signed the measure, which will penalize local police departments if their officers enforce federal gun laws during a ceremony at Kansas City Area Shooting Firearms Store. Governor, a former sheriff, said in a statement Saturday that the law, quote, draws a line in the sand and demonstrates our commitment to reject any attempt by the federal government to circumvent the fundamental right Missourians have to keep and bear arms to protect themselves and their property. Under the Missouri, under the bill, Missouri agencies with police knowingly enforce any federal laws could be sued and fined $50,000 per violating officer. Most state and federal gun laws are the same anyway, and federal law enforcement can still enforce gun rules that are only in federal law. Now, um, he also said that Republican lawmakers worked to pass the bill and said that they motivated that they're motivated by the possibility of new federal gun restrictions. Okay, so basically, the government came in and said, "Now, nah, y'all not taking shit." Now, what's interesting about this is when I talked about protected persons, right? People who are specifically protected. Um, you know, they pulled me over. <clears throat> As most of y'all know, right? I, I operate, I operate, you know, with, in a certain way when I'm traveling, right? And uh, one of the first things they asked me was, did I have a gun on me? I told them, yeah, I got a gun on me. I don't, I don't go nowhere without it. What, what do you mean? Right? No, I'm not violent. I'm not out to do any violence, but it's for my protection. And I was in um, 
the state right next to me, which also has the same laws. Okay, so there was even a time where I got pulled over in the state of Missouri, and they checked the gun. You know, and I remember back in the day, if you had a gun on you without a carrying concealed permit, you was going to jail. Right? They took my gun out, they checked it, and put it right back where it was. Right? Matter of fact, they didn't even check it. They took it out, looked at it, put it right back. But this last time, they asked me if I had one, and their whole tune changed after they went and ran my name. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. We, we can't really fuck with this guy. He's under the Constitution. Okay? All right. I'm going to play some clips for y'all. Um, hopefully, um, this stuff has been understood. We've got a lot more to talk about. I don't want y'all going nowhere. We're going we're gonna to set the stage here. Um for this information to be presented tonight, all right? So sit back, relax, we'll play a few clips, and we'll be right back. The Supreme Court is taking another look at the Second Amendment right to bear arms after an NRA affiliate filed a lawsuit on behalf of two New York State residents who were denied concealed carry permits. Take a look. Why isn't it good enough to say I live in a violent area and um, I want to be able to defend myself. If it's the discretion of an individual officer, that seems inconsistent with an objective constitutional right. I think that people of good moral character who start drinking a lot and who may be there for a football game or, or some kind of soccer game can get pretty angry at each other. And if they each have a concealed weapon, who knows? And there are plenty of statistics in these briefs to show there's some people who do know, and a lot of people end up dead, okay? So is this a violation of the right to bear arms, or do different areas need different gun restrictions, or, you know, is, it, should, is this necessary to go through, particularly in New York State? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> well, well, look, you know, we, we know that the, that the Second Amendment um, was... Um, you know, it, it was made very clear uh, by the Supreme Court that, that we do have the right to, to bear arms individually. Um, but there are, it's not an unfettered right. And, mm -hmm. and the Supreme Court made clear um, in the Heller decision that you can put some restrictions on that. I think yeah. a lot of people think about the Second Amendment and they think that they can just carry any type of gun at any time, any place. And that is not what the Supreme Court has held. And so New York has these certain restrictions. So what really is before the Supreme Court now is whether or not the restrictions are too, um, I, I guess, restrictive. Right. Uh, and, and, and I don't think they are, because what New York is saying is that a resident must show that they have a great need for the license and that they face a special or unique danger to their life, as opposed to a speculative or specious need, mm -hmm. which is like, I'm just fearful for my life, right. and so I just need to protect my property. And we know what happens when people do just have guns, well, and I, they I, I, need to... I have a study here, yeah. in 2015, analysis of 15 different studies found that people who had access to firearms at home were nearly twice as likely to be murdered as people who did not. 
Yeah. So what this law to me would do is just give more, put more guns on the street. I, I want to live in New York. I don't want to live in Texas. They want to have guns in Texas. Move to Texas. This city has been pretty safe. I, I walk around New York City and I don't feel like somebody's going to shoot me or, or out of, you know, just because they don't like the way I look or they've seen me on TV and they don't like what I say. I don't need more guns in this city. And I resent it. I resent the Supreme Court could tell, to tell my city what to do. I resent it. But and all it's going to do is put more guns out on the street. You, I, That's think, all. I think one of the challenges, though, and it's, and it's a challenge for places like Miami in a state like Florida, like New York City in a state like New York State. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's not as easy for me to imagine because I never leave New York City. Mm -hmm. But 86% of New York State, and this is a New York State law, is very rural. Right. Yeah. And so we've so I think there's got to be different laws for a place where there's high density and where there's places where there can be mass shootings. Mm -hmm. And so they asked about and I think they're contemplating leaving restrictions for places like subways, for mm -hmm. places like schools mm -hmm. where people should not be allowed Church. to have guns. Church. Churches, be, you, you're not, you're not going to have a mass shooting in a forest, we hope. Mm -hmm. But you will have it, or you could have it, and, in a subway. And you, and and I you may meet that special, uh, you, you may be able to meet that requirement if right. you're living alone in the forest and you have, um, you know, you may have an intruder. So you may be able to meet right. that requirement. But you mean you don't That's need an open carry sense. necessarily, you just need it in your house or when you're talking about rural areas. Weapon. Yeah. But one thing I don't trust right now is other people. If we've watched what's happened on our airlines, clearly you're not going to let a weapon onto the airline. But we've seen how people are behaving. They're punching people mm. that are receptionists for asking you to put on a mask. That's mm -hmm. not a danger or a threat. Right. It's a law. <laughs> and they are literally flipping out. Now arm them? I don't trust where we're at right now. There, more guns is not the answer. And we've seen, as you alluded to, the self-deputizing problem here, as we yeah. all recall, George Zimmerman. This is how Ahmaud Arbery was shot, because a lot mm -hmm. of people took their weapon, and I'm going to take care of this. And Kyle Rittenhouse, he, like, he, again, arguably didn't get his gun legally. But my point is that we've seen what happens when we allow ordinary citizens to arm themselves and take care of things. It doesn't end well. The answer to crime and illegal guns is not more guns. That's right. Well, one of the arguments um, to play devil's advocate is, is um, that, that we heard in front of the Supreme Court was, you know, well, but... but um, there are illegal guns that are on the street in New York, and there's been this rise in crime. And so, why should the criminals be allowed to get guns and law-abiding citizens? How about get the I have an answer. Not. Like, I have an answer. Yeah. So you're on a train, and somebody has a gun. Mm -hmm. Now, you're looking at somebody who you think has a gun, and maybe they do, and they pull out their gun. Now here come the cops. Who do they? Who do they shoot? Right. Yeah, they don't. Know yeah, they don't. Happens. They don't know who who's who the the criminal is. It. Yeah. You know. Listen. Right. We're always going to have criminals in our midst. Mm -hmm. Always. You know. So we have to do what we need to do. Pulling out a gun is not the answer necessarily. It's not the answer because you can't take it back once you shoot somebody. Mm -hmm. Right. It's there. It, it, it's 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 a shot. Well, and, and there's also the issue in the, of states' rights versus federalism, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, for most of us, we agree that the United States is a huge country with yeah. very different areas and that laws like gun rights, mm -hmm. like gun laws, it should be very different in New York than they are in Montana yeah. or Idaho. Yeah. But when it becomes a Supreme Court decision, yeah. it becomes the law of the land. Yeah. Yeah.
So it's got What's huge implications. That with all the school yeah. shootings and everything that goes on in this country, True. Mm -hmm. that they were even allowed to uh, the, the idea that they would put more guns on the street. Well, I think it's the it's fear. unbelievable. Isn't it the fear factor though? And I think you know what. What also people don't realize is, you know, it's very difficult to shoot well. And Whoopi, as yeah, a gun right. owner, I think yeah. you know this. When I was a prosecutor, one thing that I'm still very thankful for is because we were going to be handling gun cases and murder cases, they trained us yeah. in shooting. So I have people constantly text me and, and tweet at me, you don't know anything about guns. I know a hell of a lot about guns because I've had the gun training because I had to have it. Yeah. It's a dangerous weapon and it takes a lot of training to yes, do it, it well. And, and when a lot you're of people scared, get that training. When you're scared, you're not paying attention. You know, you think a gun, you're going to be like that. And that's not how it no. works. People try to get the thing out of their pocket and, they shoot and then they get it and they, people. And then they shoot. People. And they now they have made a shot that ricochets and goes into somebody but else. But you know what? I, 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 I know we need to yeah. wrap, but it always drives me crazy when people say, oh, you're not an expert on guns, so you can't opine. Yeah. Well, who the hell made all these white men expert on women's bodies? Yeah. All right. And yeah. yet they have no issue regulating them. Yeah. yeah. The Supreme Court is the worst. And any That's police right. officer will tell you we, that they hate having to use their gun. Yeah. Many yeah. great police officers people have don't want to, people in the line of duty. Cops don't want to do that. No, they don't. They just don't. There, there are some bad ones. Right? Of course, I got the music. All right, all right, all right. Peace. Be back. So, um, now we kind of got an idea of how people feel about it. I want to play another clip here because now I want y'all to hear essentially um, <clears throat> what the lawmakers, or I should say the policy makers, have to say about it. And I found this quite interesting. This is, this is the actual Supreme Court case. So I'm going to play a little bit of this, and, um, and then we'll come back and um, we'll open up the call lines. And run it down. Alright? So, um, I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna try to see if I can play this as loud as possible for you guys so you guys can hear it. Um, because I the clip was so long I was not able to get it loaded in. So hopefully you guys will be able to hear this all right. Alright, so I'm gonna play it and uh we'll be right back. Right after other states already enjoy. Three other states already enjoy. And those states include some of the most populous cities in the country. Those states, like New York, limit the firearms in sensitive places, but do not prohibit carrying for self-defense in any location typically open to the general public. I'm happy to continue uh, by point. Uh, Mr. Clement, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, the, um, if we analyze this um, and use history, tradition, text, the Second Amendment, we're going to have to do it by analogy. So can you give me a regulation on, in history that is a basis that would form a basis for a legitimate regulation today. If we're going to do it by analogy, what would we analogize it to? What would that look like? 
Well, Your Honor, I suppose if you're going to reason by analogy, then you could go back and you could find analogous restrictions relatively early in our nation's history about prohibiting certain types of firearms or having firearms in or any weapon, really, in certain sensitive locations. And I think you could reason in that way. Here, I think the reasoning works the opposite direction, which is you typically have a baseline right to carry for self-defense. And the only historical analogs that really restricted the right of a typical law-abiding citizen to carry for self-defense to the same degree as the New York law here were those laws, very few, typically post-Reconstruction laws that purported to eliminate any right to carry openly or concealed. And those, court, those, those laws were essentially invalidated by every court that was applying an individual rights view of the Second Amendment. And those decisions, of course, were exhaustively considered by this court in Heller. And those decisions were praised for their understanding of the Second Amendment and the relationship between the prefatory clause and the operative clause. And equally important, those laws were set forth by this court and singled out by this court as the very few restrictions historically that were comparable to what the District of Columbia was doing in Heller. So if we look at the, you mentioned the founding and you mentioned um, post-Reconstruction, but if we are to analyze this based upon um, uh, the history or tradition, should we look at the founding or should we look at the time of the adoption of the 14th Amendment, which then, of course, applies it to the states? So, Justice Thomas, I suppose if there were a case where there was a contradiction between those two, um, you know, and the case arose in the states, I would think there would be a decent argument for looking at the history at the time of Reconstruction um, as, you know, and, and, and giving preference to that over the founding. I think for this case and for Heller, and I think for most of the cases that will arise, I don't know that the original founding history is going to be radically different from that at Reconstruction. But I guess what I would say is I do think that's about where it stops, because the point here isn't to look at history for the sake of studying history. The point is to look at the history that's relevant for understanding the original public meaning of the Second Amendment and the 14th Amendment. Mr. Clement, Clement, how could it stop there? In Heller, we made very clear that laws that restricted felons from carrying uh, or possessing arms and laws that uh, uh, forbade uh, mentally ill people from doing the same. Um, we, you know, basically put the stamp of approval on those laws, and those laws really came about in the 1920s, didn't they? Uh, you know, Justice Kagan, I, I, I think some of those laws in their current form took that shape in the 1920s, but I also think there was a tradition from the beginning for keeping certain people outside of the group of people that were eligible for possession of firearms. You know, I think obviously there was a different tradition with respect to felons, um, in part because, you know, you start at the time of the framing and most felonies are capital crimes. So, you know, the, the, the need to disenfranchise felons for uh, firearm possession was a little different at the framing. So I think you do need to make those kind of adjustments. Um, but I think those adjustments can be made. I think really there are two reasons to at least be skeptical 
of post-1871 history? I mean, the first is I just don't really understand why it's terribly relevant in forming the original public meaning of the Constitution. But, of course, the second reason is it's just about that time that the collective rights view started to creep into the decisions of some state Supreme Courts. And I think – so in Heller's a perfect example that this court didn't absolutely stop its analysis in 1871 – but when it looked at those later sort of post-bellum uh, state Supreme Court decisions, the ones that re relied on a collective rights view were given very short shrift. And I think that's the appropriate way to sort of deal with these historical analogs. Well, I have two, two questions. One, one is on history. I mean, it's law, it's history. Uh, in McDonald, we had professors of history ran departments of the English Civil War, and they all said the history in Heller was wrong. You've read the briefs here. I don't know. You've read the briefs of the historian of the Air Force? And she says it's this way, and the other one says it's the other way. How are we supposed to deal with that? Uh, there's a good case. This is a wonderful case for showing both sides. So I'm not sure how to deal with the history. Uh, and uh, my other question is I'm not sure what New York does. We're talking here about outside New York City. New York says... We have about 90,000 licenses to carry concealed weapons, or maybe it's 40,000, or maybe it's 10,000. But there's been no trial. There's been no proceeding. All it is is dismissal on the so, – so, so how are we supposed to find out, A, what the history is, which is my minor question, really. There's a lot of debate on that. But uh, second, how are we supposed to know what we're talking about in terms of what New York does since they say they give – including to one of your clients, they give a license – to carry a concealed weapon. So there are concealed weapon licenses all over the place. So, so w w what are we supposed to do about those two things? Well, Justice Breyer, let me start with the major question, which is because I think that's actually very straightforwardly answered, which is there's no serious question about the experience of the individual petitioners in this case. And they both sought unrestricted licenses, and they were both denied unrestricted licenses, it, notwithstanding that they satisfy every other requirement that the state has to be licensed for concealed carry. And so I'm happy to debate why the state statistics don't really prove anything particularly relevant, but I, I think they're irrelevant for a, a more fundamental reason. I mean, you know, if there was a debate between the parties – about whether 95% or 90% of the citizens of New York were denied their confrontation rights in criminal trials, but you had before you two individuals who were clearly denied the right to confront the witnesses against them, you wouldn't worry about the other 95% well, or the other 90%. That's not really the way your brief is written. The way your brief is written is to say, you know, this is um, uh, a, a, a regulatory scheme that deprives most people of the right to carry arms and self-defense. And your brief puts a lot of emphasis on that. I don't believe the state that they're going to really take seriously people's need for self-defense because they always reject these licenses. You know, if you had a bunch of statistics which suggest that the state is quite sensitive to people's need for self-defense and gives these licenses a significant amount of the time, you might think differently about the regulatory scheme, wouldn't you? I mean, that's the way your brief reads to me. Well, Justice Kagan, two points. One is I wouldn't feel any differently with respect to my two individual clients who were denied their right to exercise their Second Amendment rights. 
But more broadly, the reason I'm so confident that this regime is problematic on its face is because on its face, at least as interpreted by the highest court in New York, the requirement you need to show in order to carry concealed for self-defense, but not for hunting and target practice, is you have to show that you have a need for self-defense that distinguishes you from the generalized community, from the general community. So New York's law on its face says that the only way that you can carry for self-defense is if you demonstrate your atypicality with respect to your need for self-defense. So and that's because Mr. Koch can. Uh, he has his license. He can carry it for self-defense uh, under the license to and from work. And as you say, he can carry it for hunting, target practice, et cetera, concealed. And in your opinion, uh, is he supposed to say you can carry a concealed gun uh, around uh, the streets of the town or outside just for fun? I mean, they are dangerous guns. I mean, so, so what's it supposed to say? It's supposed to be what New York says that they give to lots of applicants, at least in other counties, which is an unrestricted license, which basically means that somebody who has demonstrated to the state that they're of good moral character, that they have all the necessary uh, training, whatever. So 40,000 or 50,000 or 60,000 is not enough. You have to show you have a good moral character. And then if you just would like to uh, uh, carry a concealed weapon, uh, which is a dangerous thing, as I said. You can just do it just that's what the fourth, that's in your opinion, that's what you want. No restrictions. Well, it, it, certainly New York is entitled to have laws that say that you can't have weapons in sensitive places, in addition to whatever. No, I'm not saying and, and New York has those laws, and we don't challenge those. What, we would, what we're asking for, I mean, one way to think about it is we're asking that the regime worked the same way for self-defense as it does for hunting. When my clients go in and ask for a license to conceal carry for hunting purposes, what they have to tell the state is they have an intent to go hunting. They don't have to say, I have a really good reason to go hunting. I don't have to say, I have a better reason to go hunting than anybody else in my general community. And yeah, well, the difference, of course, that you have a concealed weapon to go hunting, you're out with an intent to shoot, say, a deer or a rabbit, which has its problems. But here, when you have a self-defense, just for whatever you want to carry a concealed weapon, uh, you go shooting it around and somebody gets killed. With respect, Justice Breyer, that's not been the experience in the 43 jurisdictions that allow their citizens to have the same rights that my, my clients are looking for. This is not something where we're asking you to take some brave new experiment that no jurisdiction in Anglo-American history have ever, has ever done. Lent, may I? You're talking about 43 other jurisdictions. And I suspect that when we get into those 43 other jurisdictions, that there's going to be a handful that are identical. The one thing that I've looked at in this history is the plethora of regimes that states pick. And that starts in English law, through the colony, through post Constitution to post-Civil War to um, the 19th century to even now, those 43 states that you're talking about, most of them didn't give unrestricted rights to carry in one form or another until recent times. Before recent times, there were so many different regulations 
what it appears to me is that the history tradition of carrying weapons is that states get a lot of deference on this. And the one deference that you don't haven't addressed is the question presented is what's the law with respect to concealed weapons? In 1350, the British Parliament specifically banned the carrying of concealed arms. In colonial America, at least four, if not five states, restricted um, concealed arms. Um, after the Civil War, there were many, many more states, some included in their constitution, that you can have a right to arms but not concealed. You can go to Alabama, Georgia, and Louisiana, which are now more open, are more free in granting the right to carry guns, but they prohibited through their history concealed weapons, the carrying of concealed weapons. Um, it seems to me that if we're looking at that history and tradition with respect to concealed arms, that there is not the same um, re requirement that there is in the home. One of the things Heller pointed to was there were few regulations that prohibited the carrying or the keeping of arms in homes. But that's not true with respect to the regulations about um, keeping of arms outside of homes. Putting aside the, the prohibitions, regulations on sensitive places, regulations on the types of people, um, it seems to me that I don't know how I get past all that history well, without that... you sort of making it up and saying there's a right to control states that has never been exercised in the entire history of the United States as to how far they can go and say, this poses a danger. So Justice Sotomayor, I, I, there's a lot to that question. I'll try to take it you know, sequentially if I can. I mean, you know, let's start with concealed carry restrictions. I mean, it is true that during time periods where open carry was allowed, that some states did specifically restrict concealed carry on the precise theory that if we allow you to carry open, then if you're carrying concealed, you're probably up to no good. And Heller did exhaustively survey those cases. And what it concluded is that if a state allows open carry, then it can prohibit concealed carry, I suppose vice versa. But you're yeah. asking us to make the choice for the legislature. We're only looking at concealed here. We are not asking you to make that. And I will tell you are, because you're conditioning history on a different fact. I don't think we're asking to, for anybody to make that choice. In fact, the relief we've asked for is to have an unrestricted license because under New York law, as it currently exists, that's the only way that you can have a carry right for a handgun. But in framing our relief in the complaint, we you know, framed it so that there are other reliefs consistent with the decision. So if New York really wanted to say, you know, no, we have a particular problem with concealed carry, notwithstanding that traditionally that's the only way we allow people to carry. If they want to shift to an open carry regime, they could do that consistent with everything we said here. Now, I don't think anybody expects that to happen because if you look at the New York law specifically, it's a law that prohibits 
the carrying of handguns except for permit holders. And then its provisions about permit holders speak specifically to concealed carry. So that's why we've framed our request the way we have. But what we're doing, I think, is completely consistent with the majority decision in Heller's analysis of the historical cases, which said that those very few states that tried to prohibit both concealed carry and open carry and so gave no outlet for the right to carry a firearm for self-defense outside the home, those were the laws that the Heller majority identified as being analogous to the D.C. restriction in Heller that was I validated. I do know that many of the laws conditioned um, or retained the right of the state to decide which people were eligible. And the historians to carry the arms, that you had to be subject to the approval of the local sheriff or the local mayor, et cetera. And during the Civil War, that was used to, to deny black people the right to hold arms. We now have the 14th Amendment to protect that. But why is a good cause requirement any different than that discretion that was given to local officials to deny the carrying of firearms to people that they thought it was inappropriate, whether it was the mentally ill um, or any other qualification. I, that's how I see the good cause, the sitting in with, within that tradition. So, so let me make a point about how it's so different from that tradition, but then also let me make a historical point. It's, it's radically different to say that if you are a typical New Yorker, so you, qualify, you satisfy every other qualification, you're not a felon, you don't have any mental health problems, you've done everything else we've asked you, but you are typical in the sense that you don't have an atypical need to carry for self-defense. I don't think there's any historical analog to that. As to the historical examples, with all due respect, I, I don't think I read the surety laws the same way that you do. Those surety laws, which were only in, in, in place in a minority of jurisdictions, but nonetheless, I think they help us. Because those surety laws, first of all, start with the proposition that there's a baseline right for every person, every member of the people protected by the Second Amendment to carry. And what they do is if somebody essentially as a complainant can come into court and say that somebody is, has a propensity to use them in an offensive or violent way, then if you satisfy a neutral fact finder, then you don't automatically get to disarm that person. You put them to the choice of posting a surety, and then they can continue to possess their firearm. Mr. Clement, you, in your opening, you talked about the right applying in any location typically open to the general public. I'd like to get some sense about what you uh, believe could be off limits like university campuses, could they say you're not allowed to carry on a university campus? So, Mr. Chief Justice, I, I think the answer to your question is yes. Um, and I think that what I would say, though, first of all, is the language I was talking about, any location open to the general public, mm -hmm. that's right from the license denial on Joint Appendix page 40, 41. So I, there wasn't loose language on my part. That's, it, that's right there from where we are told in capital letters where we cannot carry any location, all caps, typically open. Well, what to sort of place do you think they could be excluded from? In other words, you can get a permit, but the state can impose certain restrictions. For example, uh, any place in which alcohol is served. So they say you cannot carry a gun in any place where alcohol is served. 
So, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, I think you, probably the right way to look at those cases would be look at them case by case and say, okay, and this court in Heller, for example, said sensitive places include government buildings and schools. Um, I think those you can probably tap into a pretty good tradition. I think any place that served alcohol would be a, 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 you know, a tougher case for the government. I think we would have a stronger case. Um, they might be able to condition the license holder on not consuming any alcohol. There might be a variety of laws, and we could have those debates. But what about a uh, football stadium? I, I, I think, again, football stadium, you'd probably take it on its own um, and, and look to the historical analogs. But here's, I guess, if I could offer some general principles, um, I think there's two principles. One is, um, you know, restriction of access to the place is something that I think would be consistent with the way government buildings have worked and schools have worked. Not any member of the general public can come in there. They restrict access with or, with or without a gun. If you're an adult that has no business to be in a school, you're excluded. So I think that's a factor that would support um, treating that as a sensitive place. A second principle that I would offer is these sensitive place restrictions really are a different animal than a carry restriction, because I think a true sensitive place restriction is not just going to limit your ability to carry concealed, but it's going to be, say, this is a place where no weapons are allowed. Um, you know, whether they're firearms or other weapons, no weapons are allowed. And then the third point that I would say, and this is just an analogy, but I think it's a useful analogy, is I think the way to think about this is a little like the non-public forum doctrine in the First Amendment, which is you, you start with the place. And you try to understand, is this a place where, given the nature of the place, its function, its restrictions on access, that weapons are out of place? And if so, that's probably a sensitive place for no, state concerns. And I think what the Chief Justice is trying to do is figure out how those cash out in the real world. So I'll give you a few more. New York City subways. So, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the question of whether you could restrict arms in the subways, you know, I mean, you, you'd have to go through the analysis, I think, and say, you know, is there a restriction on access generally, I suppose? No, I mean, I got the analysis, okay. all three parts of it. Like, how does it cash out? What does it mean? You, you know, I, I don't know how those are going to cash out in particular cases, because I think the way that you would normally deal with that is, you'd ha you know, look at all the briefing we had in this case on the history of these various things. And so, you know, on behalf of my individual clients, I suppose I could give away the subway because they're not looking to go, you know, they're not in Manhattan, they're in Rensselaer County. started with universities and you said that that would be all right. What, did you mean that? Yeah, I, I, yes, I, I, I did mean cause, that. Because that's open for, you know, anybody can walk around the NYU campus. Well, NYU doesn't have much of a campus. <laughs> I, would, uh, I would go back to New York and I think you'll find that that's wrong. Similarly, the Columbia campus. Columbia's got a campus, and I don't know whether they restrict access to, at all. Um, and, and, you know, and maybe you know, if they don't restrict access to parts of the campus, maybe those are parts of the campus where they wouldn't enforce the policy anyway. I, I, the point I'm trying to make, But though, you can't say, um, you know, um, there are uh, 50,000 people in one place, you know, a, a, a ballpark. There are 50,000 people in one place. They're all on top of each other. We don't want guns there. That's you. You couldn't. The the, the city or the state couldn't do that. I, I think they might well be able to, because again, you can't get into Yankee Stadium without a ticket. 
I'd have to understand in the, you know, many of these, you know, I don't know every jurisdiction. I don't know enough about Yankee Stadium, but, you know, a lot of these stadiums are not run by the government anyway. So if a private entity wants to restrict access, uh, I don't know where the state action is. for the state says uh, no protest or event that has more than 10,000 people. I think that might be a, you know, trickier. Maybe they could justify that under strict scrutiny, but I don't think that would be a sensitive places. But why restrict. not? I mean, I guess it's about the level of generality. All these questions that Justice Kagan's asking you or that the chief asked you, if, if you concede, as I think the historical record requires you to, that states did um, outlaw guns in sensitive places, can't we just say Times Square on New Year's Eve is a sensitive place because now we've seen, you know, people are on top of each other. We've, we've had experience with violence. So we're making a judgment. It's a sensitive place. So here's what I would suggest, that the right way to think about limiting guns in Times Square on New Year's Eve is not as a sensitive place, but as a time, place, and manner restriction. And that might be a perfectly reasonable time, place, and manner restriction. But I don't think that's the sensitive places doctrine, as I understood it, from, and obviously it's a brief reference in the Heller decision, so I, I may not fully understand it. But I understood that those were certain places where there were just no weapon zones all of the time because of the nature of that institution. And I think it's probably worth thinking about rallies and Times Square. There, there may be restrictions, but they would be done under the rubric of time, could place, we, and manner. Could we start with the purpose of the personal right to keep and bear arms and the core purpose of that right, putting aside the military aspect, uh, is self-defense. So starting with that, could we analyze the sensitive place question by asking whether this is a place where uh, the state uh, has taken alternative means to safeguard the uh, those who frequent that place. If it's a, if it's a place like a, a courthouse, for example, a government building where everybody has to go through a magnetometer and there are security uh, officials there, that would qualify as a sensitive place. Now, that doesn't provide a mechanical answer to every question, and, uh, uh, but it, it, would that be a way of, of, of beginning to analyze this? Just that might be a way of analyzing it. The reason I'm a little bit reluctant to go that route as opposed to really think about the nature of the place and the restrictions that are associated with its core activity is because I worry that if you went that direction, then the state would say, well, you know, this part of the city, we have a lot of police officers. And so you really don't need to exercise your own individual self-defense right there because we, we have your back. And I don't think that I don't know what those places would be, but um... – Continue. Well, I think my friends would tell you that, you know, the whole city of New York is that way. And I, I think there are a lot of people in New York and New York may have uh, a lot of reasons to have regulations that are a little bit different than in upstate New York, where my individual petitioners reside. But I don't think that they can take all those people in New York and deny them of their fundamental constitution. How, how do we do you just How? I mean, so far we've been, uh, in, to my mind, I think. NYU does have a campus. Uh, you're not certain. All right. Uh, you think that uh, in New York City, uh, people should have a considerable freedom to carry concealed weapons. I think that people of good moral character who start drinking a lot and who may be there for a football game or, or some kind of soccer game can get pretty angry at each other. 
if they each have a concealed weapon, who knows? And there are plenty of statistics in these briefs to show there are some people who do know. And a lot of people end up dead. Okay? So, uh, what are we supposed to do? To sort of float around, like with NYU, and say, uh, hey, oh, this is the rule. It seems to work out in upstate New York. We don't know, of course. And we do know that your client is carrying a concealed weapon because he has a right to in some instances. And uh, even following Heller. And following the history, which I thought was wrong. Uh, even so, what are we supposed to say, in your opinion, that is going to be clear enough that we will not produce a kind of uh, gun-related chaos? So, Justice Breyer, I would sort of point you to two things that maybe would give you some comfort. I mean, one is the experience of the 43 states, and there are amicus briefs on both sides getting into the empirical evidence, but there really isn't the case that those 43 states that include very large cities like Phoenix, like Houston, like Chicago, they have not had demonstrably worse problems with this than the five or six states that have the regime that New York has. So that's one place to look. The other place that I think you would find some, some, something persuasive there is their own amicus brief on their side by the city of Chicago. Because the city of Chicago is in a shall-issue jurisdiction. Um, and the city of Chicago goes on to sort of, you know, essentially brag about all of the ways that they've done consistent with that regime to reduce crime in Chicago that probably doesn't have a direct analog in downstate Illinois. But, of course, you know, what, what are the problems with this case? I mean, most people okay. think that Chicago is like the, the world's worst city with respect to gun violence, Mr. Clement. Chicago and their corporate and Chicago doesn't think that, but everybody else thinks it about Chicago. And nobody thinks that about Phoenix, and nobody thinks that about Houston, and nobody thinks that about Dallas, and nobody thinks that about San Diego, which even though it's in a uh, restricted state, is a shall-issue jurisdiction. Mr. Thank Clement. you, uh, Mr. Clement. Justice Thomas, anything further? Um, Mr. Clement, uh, where's Mr. Nash live? Mr. Nash lives in Rensselaer County, New York. Is that close to NYU? That is nowhere near NYU, uh, Justice Thomas. And, you know, I think if you, if you look at their, the county website, they talk about their 153,000 people spread over 955 square miles. And yet that's the context in which my individual clients are being denied their Second Amendment rights. Justice Breyer, anything further? Justice Alito? Justice Sotomayor? Counselor, your client is permitted to, Mr. Nash, one of the two, to carry when engaged in outdoor activities of any kind, like camping, hunting, and fishing on back roads. Um, with the few, substantially less than the number of people, tell me how many places in Rensselaer County does your client have a self-defense risk? Well, Sir, I mean, at, at what point do we look at the restriction and the burden it places? Meaning, yes, I'm sure it has a center of town. I'm sure it may have a shopping center or two. But 
it's not like he's totally restricted from carrying a gun. He's just restricted from carrying one, basically, in those sensitive places. Well, the rest of his home is pretty distant from each from other homes. So, Justice Sotomayor, just so we start on the same wavelength or the same page, literally page 41 of the joint appendix, this tells Mr. Nash where he can carry concealed. And what the officer McNally told him was, quote, I emphasize that the restrictions are intended to prohibit, italicize, you from carrying concealed in any location, all caps, any location, typically open to and frequented by the general public. Now, I would submit that's, that's a pretty broad number of places in Rensselaer County, and it would include, I fear, um, most of the roads in the county at night when you're traveling and might think that you have a need. I mean, if, if Mr. Nash has a relative whose car breaks down and has to have a, a change of tire and he wants to go out and assist them with that and wants to make sure that he is, def he, he is in a position to defend himself, I don't think he can do it consistent with this license restriction. And at the end of the day, I think what it means to give somebody a constitutional right is that they don't have to satisfy a government official that they have a really good need to exercise it or they face atypical risks. Justice Kagan, anything further? Uh, Mr. Clement, you said, I think, in passing that it would be fine if uh, New York uh, banned open carry so long as it con uh, allowed concealed carry. Is that correct? It, it, certainly that's consistent with the relief we're looking for. We're looking for some outlet to exercise our constitutional right to carry firearms outside the home. How is it consistent with the history? I mean, the history seems very clear to me that it's sort of like the exact opposite of how we think about it now. In other words, that there are lots of places that uh, wanted people to display their arms as a matter of transparency, and what they prohibited was the concealed carry. So I'm, I'm thinking like if you look to the history, you end up with a completely different set of rules from the ones that you're suggesting with respect to concealed versus open. And it's, a, it's an example, I think, of, uh, of the difficulties of looking to history where people were operating on such uh, different, to uh, use your term, wavelengths. So, uh, Justice Kagan, first of all, I would have thought that, you know, we'd sort of cross the bridge to use history in this context in Heller. But if we're going to look to history, I actually think it, it... Mr. Clement, the question is how to use history. And, you know, where do you look? You know, how far do you look? Do you look to the 1920s when all these uh, felon um, uh, laws were passed as well as public purpose laws of exactly the same kind as New York? So one question is how far up do you look? Another question is, you know, with what sense of flexibility do you look? And I think that this is an example of that. It's like, no, we're not going to ask for an exact analog because we realize that the world has changed and regulatory schemes are very different because regulatory interests are very different. If we tried to copy history, we would find ourselves in a world in which the only thing that a state could do is uh, tell people, you know, you can't carry it concealed. You have to carry it open. 
So, Justice Kagan, let me give you an example of how I think the court should use history in this context. And I'll go exactly to the Georgia statute that was at issue in None Against Georgia. Now, that was a statute that on its face prohibited carrying simpliciter. Um, so it didn't say open. It didn't say concealed. Now, the court that analyzed that reversed, vacated the indictment of somebody under the statute. Um, because the statute didn't specify and they didn't think that person had carried concealed. But when they looked at it, they interpreted it in light of the context at the time, and they thought, boy, it is not consistent with the Second Amendment. The Georgia Act, that court actually thought directly applied to the state, which is interesting. But, but they said that's not consistent with the Second Amendment to prohibit any means for carrying. Then consistent with kind of the norms of the time, kind of almost as like a severability holding, dare I say it, they said, well, all right, the open carry, that's allowed. I mean, ra rather, that's, that's, we're going to say that to the extent this statute prohibits open carry, that's unconstitutional. But to the extent that it prohibits concealed carry, that's constitutional. Now, the, the, the fundamental problem with the law that carries over as a direct analogy is it gave no outlet to exercise the constitutional right to carry for self-defense. The norms of the time had a favoring for open carry over concealed. I will grant you that the norms of the time have flipped, and certainly in New York, based on the rest of their licensing regime, I assume that they would prefer that my clients carry concealed rather than openly. But I think that's the way you can use the history, and you can use it with some contextual sensitivity, but you cannot sort of you know, throw it all out, because I do think the analogy is pretty clean between a law that prohibits any form of carry and what New York is doing here. And of course, that was one of the laws that this court specifically looked to in the Heller decision as and, well. And when you look at this history in the properly contextual way, do you see no difference between the kind of regulation that was allowed in the home and the kind of regulation that was allowed in public places? Because it seems to me that the history and, and Justice Sotomayor developed it at some length, but the history is replete with that distinction. That the and, and indeed Heller recognizes that. Heller recognizes that the home is a very special place. Um, both because, you know, for similar reasons for the Fourth Amendment, but also because the need for self defense is so much greater there. So uh, I think in terms of – I'm not going to tell you that the context doesn't matter at all. I mean take sensitive places law, right? They just – they don't really affect the keep right the way that they affect the carry right unless you try to say the entirety of Manhattan is a sensitive place, and then they might affect both. But in general, the, the analysis is going to be slightly different, but I would say that you know, I don't think those differences are material here. I think if the district, instead of just banning handguns inside the home, had adapted a permitting regime that required district residents to show that they had an atypical need to possess a handgun inside the home, I'm not sure anything in Heller would have been different because it's just inconsistent with a constitutional right to either ban the exercise of it or say that it's a privilege that you can only exercise if you show that you are atypical from the rest of the people who are equally protected by the constitutional right. Thank you. Mr. Clint, are you, are you able to hear me? Don't even think about changing the station. You're listening to The Bottom Line with your host, Joey L. <clears throat> all right, all right. So, 
Um, we we only got through a portion there. There's a lot of that that's left. Well, we're gonna go into overtime. So if you're in the chat and you want to continue listening, uh, go ahead and call in now. Call in numbers three four seven nine eight nine zero one nine four, and um, you'll be able to continue listening. We're gonna take a couple of calls, and uh, and then we will after the calls we'll go back for another. 10 minutes or so it is, because um, it's going to take us into next week um, for our show next week. But this is, um, I mean, this is an example of, you know, how, like I said, I mean, you know, this is what I talked about in the beginning, how this is a systemic issue, right, on gun control, on how, yeah, there's the Second Amendment, but then they still want to be able to regulate you, right? So um, we're going to continue this conversation. We'll take a couple of calls. Uh, we'll take a really quick break, and then we'll be right back. So keep it locked. Don't go nowhere. Like I said, if you want to continue listening, go ahead and call in now, 347-989-0194. We'll be right back. Uh-huh. I'm still young. Let's get it again, nigga. I'm still young. <laughs> Fucked up, right? I know. I know what y'all niggas asking yourself. You gonna ever fall off? No. A lot of speculation on the monies I've made, honeys I've played. I would be for real. Is that nigga really paid? Hustlers I've met or dealt with direct. Is it true he stayed in beef and slept with a tech? With the position you hold. Can you really match a triple platinum artist buck by buck but only a single going gold? Rockefeller shit fold, and you're left out in the cold. Is it back to charge your motherfuckers 11 for a hoe? For the millionth time, asking me questions like Wendy Williams harassing me. They get upset when I catch feelings. Can I get a minute to breathe? And in that minute you leave, while I'm looking at my road, ice spinning on my sleeve. Ugh, nice watch. Do you really have a spot? Like you said in front of foe, and if so, what block? What you doing in L.A. with Filipinos and essays, Latinos and Chevys down by Pico with I answer all y'all questions, but then y'all got to go. Now the question I ask you is, how bad you wanna know? Black. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. How we do? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. How we do? 98, Primo remix, and ain't nothing different. I don't know what the hell, niggas been sniffing, jiggas still dipping, chrome on the whips and four days out the week, find me in the kitchen, still in the game, nigga, hook like glue. Poppy gave me one pie, but it cooked like two. I'm a crook like you. Cats around my way was buying brand new whips and shit. What could I do? Knowing I'm supposed to style. I'm the hustler's poster child. Rock lizards and crocodile. Live ironic and whatnot. Put all that ice on the face. Of a watch just to make it hot. Now you see me on them stages, rocks in the air, looking like blue lasers. Never fool gazes, act courageous. I smack them with the two aces, Mac double one. Nigga, I'm troublesome. All I got for chicks, hard dick and bubble gum. Flip bricks like Fred Barney rubble in them. It's the Rockefeller click, what's fucking with them? Not a damn thing, nigga, we doing our damn thing. Black! Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh-huh. how we do? Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on the bottom line with Zoe L. On the new Evolution Radio Network. Wow. 
Hold on, right on, right. We back. We're gonna uh, go to the call lines right quick, and then we'll go back and listen to a few more minutes <clears throat> of this court case. Let's go to three one four three eight one. You're on the bottom line. What's happening? You know, you've covered quite a bit. It's an interesting conversation listening to the argument. My name's Pianchi. I'm calling from the Midwest and the South. <clears throat> Greetings, my and buddy. You, Thank you for calling in. You know, there's five citizens that I know of in the United States that require a home to have weapons. Uh, you got Gun Barrel City, Texas. You got Akuta, uh I think, Colorado. You got Kennesaw, Georgia, and Nelson, Georgia. I don't know if there's went through or not but uh, people don't you know a lot of people don't know that then it was talking about uh, I don't like it the way when you have a sheriff where you have to uh, show a exclusive need to be able to carry a conceal and I think that more people should open carry then the public would get used to it, of seeing that. See, concealed carry. More open carry or more concealed carry? More open carry. That public can be used to seeing you carrying a weapon. Now, in Missouri, you don't have to have a license to conceal carry. But if you're going to open carry, you need to have... Right, in Missouri, you have to have a license to open carry. And, you know, you got blacks that open carry in downtown St. Louis. Very much so. Well, yeah, but once again, it's it's left. Sorry about that. I just went overtime. Go ahead. Yeah, once again, it's left up uh, to the states. And, uh, you know, they were making reference of of sensitive places and talking about in taverns. Well, some people go to tavern and drink soda or fruit juice. They don't drink alcohol, but... Suppose somebody come into the cavern with some ill will. Should you not be able to defend yourself? Like that one movie scene with the, I can't think of the real short guy. And uh, the man went to pull out his gun and everybody in the tavern unloaded and pulled out their gun on him. So uh, I don't know if you can use that for a president or not, but. You know what I'm talking. Well, I mean, about. I guess it will be a precedent. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, is I, I remember in Missouri where where you had to have I, this is up until a couple of years ago, you had to have a permit to conceal and carry or open carry, right? And it was on the Kansas side, same way. And then they went constitutional carry, and you would think if they say constitutional carry, then that means carry period, right? Whether it's concealed or not, whether you're brandishing your gun or not. And so, I mean, you know, and if you think about it, right, you would actually have more people that would be, that you would keep more people in check by having guns. But then we go right back to the Wild Wild West days here, you know. Well, you know what happened? You know, when the law made its way out to the West, people had came up with agreements of understanding with each other that eventually became the law. It wasn't the law that created the law. It was people that created the law. In Missouri, its 1875 Constitution reads, the right to keep and bear arms, ammunition, and certain accessories, exceptions, right to be unalienable, that the, that the right of every citizen to keep and bear arms, ammunition, and accessories typical to the normal function of such arms in defense of his home, 
persons, family, and property or when lawfully summoned in aid of the civil power shall not be questioned. Then it goes on a little bit more. The right to bear arms mm-hmm. should not be infringed. And the right of a militia. That's two things that the Second Amendment is speaking on. And the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. Man, how clear can you get than that? Now, you, you know, and I agree with you there. And so then it, it draws the question, really it raises the question here. Um, how do you then deal with things like the National Firearms Act, right, um, and, and and the Gun Control Act, which were the statutes that were then put in place to supersede the constitutional amendment? Because because then it's like, okay, well we'll give them the right to carry, but we got to impose restrictions here, 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 and here. And even and I said it, and then the judge said it too. Right where back in the 1920s and 30s, when they put these laws in place, uh, they went even went as far as to say, well, if if you had a a mental capacity, right, a, a deficiency somewhere, or if you were a quote unquote drug user, then you couldn't hold a firearm. Well, you know, acts can't supersede the Constitution. Act begins as a bill. And when it's agreed upon, it becomes a, an act, which is a statute. But uh, exactly. and that's something people don't don't know. The Constitution has no on-off switch. In time of pandemic, right. in time of storm, right. because you know what, young man, and I'm African American, by the way. So people think that we don't feel this way. A lot of us don't. A lot of people who do feel like you know, from a conservative side, they don't speak up. Because of the retaliation in many cases. But people have it backwards. They think that the federal government is all be all. But that's not true. It's the states that give the federal government power. Your Congress people. That's right. Your Congress people and your senators come from the states. And they are elected by the people. We the people, sovereign states, then the federal government. And have you ever read the Federalist Papers and Anti-Federalist Papers? Yeah, so in, in the, if you go and look, right, because the, the federal government is the manager. That's what they are. They, they, that's why they call them, uh, uh, you know, that, that's, that's daddy. Let me <laughs> and, tell you and, something. And you go look in the Federalist Papers. You ever get a chance to read them? Do you know that the Federalists, all one of the central government. And they agree with the anti-federalists from which your 10 Bill of Rights come. Your, actually, it was 12. It condensed down to 10. Your Bill of Rights came out of the anti-federalists. Now, check this out. They passed the Constitution before they came up with the Bill of Rights. They, the, the, the people who wanted to push the Bill of Rights agreed to let the Constitution go ahead and be ratified. Now, you know what? They took a hell of a chance. And it worked out. True. Think true. about it. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's very true because it's, it's like, well, look, we, we got the Constitution and we're going we're gonna to allow you to do these Bill of Rights and hopefully they don't uh, step on the Constitution. The Supreme Court is not supposed to make law. 
they're supposed to judge the laws that's made and see if they infringe on the Constitution protections that the Constitution gives you. The Constitution protects you from the federal government. It protects you also from the lesser government. But your state constitution is also important, too, and people don't understand that. State constitution gives you the power over your police. They give you the power to form cities and towns and villages and to create and dissolve the governments thereof at the time when you think you feel a need to. People don't understand that. Yeah, you got it's control one of, you know, of your police already. That. Yeah, you know that? and that's, that's, that's the interesting thing that we that we've taught over here is that if you go back and you use the state constitutions where you have the issues in the state, it's what helps keep the state in check. And then the federal government essentially, uh, to a certain extent, keeps the states in check when they want to infringe on the rights of, of people. And then and you get to things like the supremacy clause, right, which, uh-huh. which says that which says it's the treaties, right, and, you know, the law of the land next to the, the federal constitution and the state constitution, right? And so we, we haven't even gotten into the fact that, uh, that, you know, the treaties, if you go look like the Treaty of James, right, and the Treaty of Peace and Friendship or the Treaty of Granada, right, a lot of these treaties had already discussed things that they wrote in the constitution. Well, you know, in the constitution, Indians were sovereign countries. That's why come Lincoln's yeah. Emancipation Proclamation did not apply to them. <clears throat> and even after the treaty in 1866, the Indians said, if you want us to get rid of our property, then you need to compensate us for it. Do yeah, process. Exactly. And they did. Uh, I think they finally paid off the creek in 1952. Exactly. People don't talk about that. <laughs> You know, yeah, you, uh, yeah, there's no just compensation for a lot of things, and then they moved a lot of them to reservations. Yeah. You, you, shut them up. Well, you know, they gave it. Oklahoma was Indian territory. I'll tell you something mm-hmm. else. What we call Black Wall Street, that was Creek mm-hmm. land. That wasn't black, a native black land. That was Creek's land. And, and then the uh, misinformation. It's when people look at people whose skin is not white. Where Creek Indians' skin complexion was red, it was black, and later on became white because the whites got inside of their country, if you want to call it like that. Exactly. So uh, <laughs> you have yeah, you, a good you, conversation you on your show. Yeah, thank you. You have a good conversation. I appreciate you. Keep up the good work, man. Thank you. I will, my brother. Thank you. I appreciate you calling in. Hope you are calling again. Thanks for the opportunity. See you later. Absolutely. Uh, let's go to 813-564. You're on the line. Peace to the gods, Joe. How you doing, bro? Peace to the gods. Welcome to the show, brother. Man, yes, sir, man. This is a great show, man. Always, like always. But I'm, I still Thank ain't you, got no remedy. I still ain't got no remedy for my little problem. On this Second Amendment, man, I'm trying to get my rights back down here in Florida, man. They're dragging me through the mud, man. Uh, I'm, I'm, you may have to open up a uh, case for that. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, they're trying to make. I'm trying to. I try to get my currency rights back because my shit's so old. But they're trying to say I owe some money and I got to pay some money for some court costs that I owe in order to get my gun rights back. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember what the Constitution says, right? You pay with the yeah. forward. So exactly, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to introduce, like the brother said. You're gonna have to introduce the state constitution into the into the program. See, that's why I'm a little I'm a little confused. I guess I'm confused. I guess I need to do some more study. I'm trying to see how how would I go about doing that. You got to supersede. Well, well, first of all, you got to supersede what we're talking about tonight in terms of the acts that they put in place. You got to go past that. You got to go past um, the statutes, gun prohibition. Yeah, exactly. And you got to go back to organic constitution. In the state, oh. in the state of Florida, so so you're gonna have to go back because there was a certain point when they wrote statutes and it says, okay, well you can't get your your rights back, right? If he was a felon, okay. but then if you if if you if you look at this thing holistically, right? Those are ex post facto laws. Fact. So that's why you gotta go. You, you've got to go back to where it counts. Cause that's that's what they're using on me to get my rights back now. They're using the statute. They oh, you gotta wait so many years in order to get this back and get that back. Yeah, that's ex post facto, so, and, and you, you would almost have to sue the state if they're not allowing you to go past that. And really, opening up a suit against the state um, technically would be where, because remember that's deprivation of rights. Right. And so and so that would be where your federal government would come in. So I will I, I, I have to open up a federal a federal case against the state. Yeah. So 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 deprivation of rights is, is um, section two forty two title eighteen, right? So it makes it makes it a crime for a person that's acting under the color of law, ex post facto, to willfully deprive that person of a right or a privilege that's protected by the Constitution or the laws of the United States. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm fighting with these folks, man. I'm tired of fighting with these folks about this. I ain't trying to give them no more money. And that's why I'm like, I, 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 I understand. So, so I mean, and and that's why you know to get into court, you know, you use the Constitution to, you know, I mean, because what we're talking about is the deprivation of your rights. Like, what these people want to do is deprive you of your rights. So who, I mean, will it be the state or will it be the people who deny me my right? Because, I mean, it's really not. Well, who's the, well, really, well, well it, isn't the issue happening in the state? Yeah, the issue is happening in the state. It is happening in the yeah. state, but it's. Yeah, yeah. It's well, certain well, people okay. names. So, yeah. It, so, it's so certain your, people names. Really on the docket. Right. So, so look, yeah. your, your question goes more to the individual deprivation of rights, right? Which, which deals with right. what we're talking about, right? When you're being deprived of your rights by an individual, which basically is a violation of your constitutionally protected rights. So, what would happen essentially is you could sue that person in their private capacity for depriving you of your rights. Okay, and then you could bring a suit against the state in that manner. 
Because there's actually four constitutional officers on the paperwork. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so each constitutional officer, you would would sue them in their individual capacity. But not for, for not protecting my my private rights, correct? Exactly. Exactly. So, oh, boy, yeah, we definitely got to do a show on this one because I'm so tired of fighting with these folks, man. I need a better understanding yeah, now, on how to. Now we, we we're gonna do a part two to the show next week um, when we when we pick back up on it, and um, I'll be sure to address that. Yeah, because it. Boy, I, I really want to email you this this paperwork they sent me back. It's so it's so convoluted that they sent me back. Cause I tried to yeah, put the paper, I put the paperwork I put the paperwork in as a national. I ain't even say I was a citizen. I I no non no citizen. I'm a national Floridian, you know. So I put the paperwork in pretty much as a national. I mean, I put my social security number in there on brackets, and pretty much that's, that was it. Yeah, do, do me a favor. You can email it to me. I'd be happy to take a look at it. And, um, yeah, I email it right now, Joey. What's your email yeah. again? Yeah, uh, send it to the makemorecommerce.com. Mm-hmm. But what I'll do, I'll text that too. But in the meantime, you can send it over there, and I'll have you send any future correspondences to the trustee. Now. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll send it to you, okay. man. Let's check it. Yes, yeah, real convoluted because I try to, I'll try to get all my rights back, and they just, they ain't feeling none. The paperwork looks like you can try again on this date, but it's blank. In fact, you can try again on this date, yeah. it's blank. All just blank. Oh, that's the game they play. It's the game they play until exactly. you come forward with. You know, you got to come with a little fire on it, you know. That's what I was, I was thinking about, sending a nice notice to all the constitutional officers. Like, y'all violating my rights if y'all don't do something. Like, y'all depriving me of my rights. Y'all don't step up, you know, I'm going to open up the food. That's what I was thinking about, sending a little nice notice to, to all of them. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's deprivation. It is. It's, it's a deprivation of rights. It, it's 100%. But nobody ever yeah. nobody ever steps to them with that. So because nobody ever steps to them with that, it it becomes um, a non-issue. Yeah, exactly. You know they, that, just get, they just get away with that shit. So that that's why I'm trying to be the first one who's gonna check this shit. So I'm like, I ain't I ain't giving y'all a dollar. I refuse to give y'all yeah. a dollar. So that's why I'm like, I'm gonna try to find some way. I hope we work this out in the next couple of weeks. But I'm gonna definitely be chopping up that other one. That, that other one gonna be done at the beginning of the year. That child's before that. That's gonna be done. So really? I ain't worried about that. Hope to hope to hear a testimony from you. Yo, you definitely gonna hear that testimony. I'm that's definitely over with. I gotta go to court. But whatever I gotta do, I'm going to court. I'm getting that shit done. You gonna chop it up? So. But yeah, Joe. You know I appreciate. You. I appreciate you, God. Oh, I'm gonna send yeah, you yeah, we can check it out. Okay, my brother. All right, good. All right, that's Peace, what it man. is. Look forward to hearing from you. Peace, God. Peace. All right, let's go to um, let's go to nine one seven. We're going to New York. What's up? Peace to the God. Peace to the guys. What's going on, Joey? What's all good? How you? Doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. Magnificent. Feeling great. Good. Good. Soup. 
So I got on at the end of the uh, show, but it seems like we talking about the Second Amendment and how to protect those rights. Is that correct? Did you get on when I was playing the audio? Nope, I missed the audio. Definitely going okay. back. Okay, well, we, we, we can ready to go into part two of it. I'm going to play a little bit of part two of it. Um, you missed the first okay. half, so um, I'll tell you what, what I'll do is I'll leave you in, and then I'll come back to you if you play part two. No doubt. That's a bet. Okay, all right. We'll... We're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna play part two. If you're sitting in, stay in, um, and uh, gonna get to it. All right. So this is part two of the Supreme Court arguments for gun rights, uh, which is what we're discussing tonight. Okay, right to conceal, um, and this is specifically the argument for the state of New York. But this this applies across the board. All right. Remember, because it's the Supreme Court argument. Right. So. Um, you know, it can become a landmark type of decision. So we'll play this and we'll be right back. Loud and clear. Right. Um, uh, some of your amici have asked us to provide further guidance to lower courts in cases beyond your own. And so putting aside your, your case for the moment, um, they pointed out that some lower courts have refused to apply the history test, for example, and said they will not extend Heller outside the home until this court does. Other courts have applied intermediate scrutiny and variations of that. Some have suggested that strict scrutiny would be appropriate to treat this right comparably to other rights under our modern tiers of scrutiny. Um, I'd I just be curious what, what, what views you have about all that. Thank you, Justice Gorsuch. I, I think we would start with the idea that text, history, and tradition is an appropriate way to deal with this right. That's what the court said in Heller. I think this court would allow the court to make clear that the same analysis applies outside of the home. And I think this case, like Heller, is such an outlier uh, that the court wouldn't have to say too much more unless it wanted to. I think if it wanted to, though, it would already, I think, go a long way to correcting some of the mistakes in the lower court to say that text, history, and tradition is the test, not part of the test, but the test inside and outside the home. And if this court prefers to go the level of scrutiny route, I would simply say two things. One, we would prefer strict scrutiny as being consistent with a fundamental constitutional right. But even if it's going to be intermediate scrutiny, probably the single most important thing to remind the lower courts is that intermediate scrutiny requires narrow tailoring. And a law like this that takes a person who has no proclivity whatsoever, unlike the surety laws, to misuse firearms um, and says you simply can't carry them for self-defense anywhere frequented by the public because you haven't demonstrated an atypical need I mean, that's about as untailored a law as I can imagine. So I think if you did one of those two things, either make clear that it's text, history, and tradition outside the home as well as inside, or make clear that narrow tailoring is an integral component of the test, that would go a long way to clearing up some of the confusion in the lower courts. And I know um, uh, you, you've uh, had a substantial debate with your friends on the other side about the statute of Northampton. We haven't heard about that today, and I just wanted to give you a chance. Thank you, Justice Gorsuch. I'd say just a couple of quick things about the statute of Northampton. First of all, I think that it was very clear from the Knight's case and the treatises that this court relied on in Heller that by the time of the framing of the English Bill of Rights, that was not a general prohibition on carrying outside the home, but was a prohibition on either carrying unusual and dangerous weapons or using common weapons in a way that terrorized the public. 
And so I don't think that that supports the other side's uh, position here. And the second thing I would say is that probably the single most obvious point about the history is there just are no reported cases on this side of the Atlantic, not in actual reporters, not in newspaper reports about crimes of the day that show anybody being prosecuted for a violation of the Northampton crime simply by carrying common firearms for self-defense. And the one U.S. early court that dealt with this, the common law equivalent of the statute, was state against Huntley in North Carolina, which was an opinion that was cited favorably in the majority opinion in Heller. And that case went out of its way to say that simply carrying firearms per se is not an offense. It's the intent to terrorize the people that is prohibited by Northampton. Thank you. Justice Kavanaugh? Mr. Glenn, I have several questions. Uh, first, uh, I want to make sure um, I understand your main problem here with this permitting regime as I understand it, is the discretion uh, that's involved with the permitting officials and uh, your point that that's just not how we do constitutional rights, where we allow basic blanket discretion to grant or deny something for all sorts of reasons. <clears throat> but I understand you would not uh, object or do not object to the regimes that are used in many of the other 42 states, the shall issue regimes. I mean, there could be particular problems with those but I do not understand you to object to shall issue regimes. Is that accurate? That's accurate, Justice Kavanaugh. And as you say, there's a per, you know, especially if you have something like good moral character, there's the possibility for discretionary abuse in those regimes as well. But the thrust of this case is, you know, we, we'd like what they're having. We'd like what the people in the other 43 states are allowed to do and exercise their rights. And in many of those states, it's shall issue. Um, and, and that is, of course, you know, New York purports to have effectively a shall issue regime with respect to hunting. The only other caveat I wanted to add is it's the discretion combined with the atypicality requirement. So if they came up with some, you know, sort of like magic wand that gave them a precise reading of typicality, um, and so there was no discretion, but the standard was still at the end of the day, you have to show that you are atypical from the rest of the people protected by the Second Amendment. We would have a problem with that as well. Right. A shall issue regime with an atypicality requirement would be no good in your view. Exactly. Even yeah. if it could be somehow, if you could come up with some objective standard of typicality. Okay. And the issue before us, as I understand it, is the permitting regime. We don't have to answer all the sensitive places questions in this case, some of which will be challenging, no doubt. Is that accurate? That's 100% accurate, and it's there's sort of a market test of the accuracy of that, which is New York does have sensitive place laws, and we have not challenged them in this litigation. Then to follow up on Justice uh, Thomas's question and also Justice Gorsuch's, uh, we should focus on American law and the text of the Constitution, and we don't start the analysis in a vacuum. We started with the text, which you say grants the right to carry, and then historical practice can justify certain kinds of regulations, but the baseline is always the right established in the text, and there'll be tough questions as the question, uh, arguments revealed about what the historical practice shows, but the default or baseline is the text. Right. That, that, that's absolutely right, Justice Kavanaugh, and of course that's no different from something like the First Amendment, where of course you start with the text, and it's very emphatic text, you know, no law abridging speech, but then you look to history and tradition just to realize, oh, well, there's a long tradition of treating defamation and libel different going back to the framing, so you use that history to inform the text, but it, the focus is on the text. 
And last question, uh, following up on Justice Gorsuch's question, as he points out, some courts have used it, intermediate scrutiny or strict scrutiny. Um, you know, those are balancing tests. I think Professor Alcia's amicus brief is very helpful on that. There's well-developed law in other areas. Uh, but it'll be no surprise to you. I have concern that that would just be a balancing test that would leave it, uh, make it a policy judgment, basically, for the courts. Uh, and I don't know why we would uh, – you say you'd be okay with that, but I'm not sure why we would smuggle all that into here, and then it would just be uh, a policy judgment that would be uh, unanchored from the historical practice. So just, Kevin, two points just in response to that. One, you know, as, as you articulate the concerns with interesting balancing, that might be a reason that if you're going to go with the level of scrutiny's approach, you would go to strict scrutiny, where I just think there's less play in the joints. But uh, the second I – mean, I, Maybe, uh, but what's a compelling interest? Do you have a compelling uh, – there's a lot of play in the joints in, in some of the other areas, so I, I don't know that you want to open that door. And, 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 and the second point I was going to make, though, Justice Kavanaugh, which is maybe more consonant with the thrust of the question, is, uh, you know, whatever was the case in Heller, where I, I sort of read the majority opinion is actually already rejecting interesting balancing, but whatever was the case in Heller, you know, we now have this 13 years of experience with lower courts applying the test. And in, in our view, you know, they've made a muddle of it, and, the, you know, it's, it's probably the experience of the last 13 years is probably a very good reason to prefer a text, history, and tradition approach to this area of the law. Thank you. Justice Barrett? Uh, Mr. Clement, I have one question. So a couple times um, in response to my question about Times Square and New Year's Eve, and then just now as well uh, to Justice Kavanaugh, you made reference to the First Amendment. And obviously, a lot of the questions that have been asked have been focused on how do we, um, how can the state fairly regulate? Um, because everybody agrees there have to be some regulations, and it might not be that you can always find exact historical analogs. So returning to the First Amendment response to me, you said, well, that might be analogous to a time, place, and manner restriction. So do you think the First Amendment and the, you know, edifices that we have uh, structured around it would be a helpful place to look? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, I'm suggesting that there is a lot of useful teaching in the First Amendment. I'm not sure I'm suggesting you should just take sort of doctrines lock, stock, and barrel from the First Amendment. But, you know, I mean, going back, you know, well over 100 years to like Robertson when the court was just talking in dictum about the First and the Second Amendment, it drew the analogy between allowing some restrictions on the Second Amendment and in the First Amendment context the First Amendment being consistent with libel and defamation. As I suggested to the Chief Justice, I think the way you think about a non-public forum and why that's different from First Amendment purposes from a park, I think could be useful in some of these contexts. You know, if you focus on the nature of the location, you might say this is inappropriate for weapons, but I, in the same way as in the First Amendment, you just don't get to say, well, we're going to make it a non-public forum by saying no First Amendment activity there. You can't just take a location and say we're going to make this a sensitive place by saying no Second Amendment activity there. So those kind of analogies and, lastly, the analogy being you look at a law that says no concealed carry in a particular place on one night of the year quite differently from a law like this that says there's really no way for a typical New Yorker to conceal carry anywhere uh, that the general public is allowed to go. Those under the First Amendment, those are radically different laws. And I think under the Second Amendment, those are radically different laws. Thank you. Thank you, counsel.
All right, all right. <clears throat> so what we'll do is uh, next week we will pick up next week where we left off at um, because it's, it's quite a this is it's a it's a lot of audio here and there's a lot more that they covered um, which is important. There's at least another there's almost another hour uh, of audio and um, if listen if you hung out with me tonight uh, you're a champ. <laughs> <laughs> I just for even sticking around to listen to it because it's, it's you know legal ease and legal jargon ain't easy to listen to. All right, um, so nine one seven eight zero four, your mic is yours. Yo, okay, okay. So I understand that that was the case. They's talking about uh, that's a Supreme Court case that's going on in New York right now. Yeah, it's going on in New York right now. I would recommend that you take time to go back and listen to the first half of the show. Um, so you can hear the first half of that audio. Um, but that's what's going on right now in New York. You already know I'm going back listening to that. But I got on, I was like, oh my God, they got some good drinks. My main question is, yeah. um, because the state of Maryland, right, or Maryland state constitution does not have the right to bear arms in it, but I understand that you could use the supremacy clause in the United States constitution because that does have the verbiage in it. And other constitutions yeah, and so, of other states have it. Yeah, and I actually mentioned that earlier um, about Maryland, um, because if you go back and you look at, um, if you go back and look, Maryland, 1776, November 11th, I'm bad with Roman numbers, um, articles is XXD-XXDII, it says that a well-regulated yeah. Okay, there you go. All right. So it said that a well-regulated militia is the proper and natural defense of a free government. Um, section that was section 25, section 26 said that, and this was in Maryland. It said that the standing armies are dangerous to liberty and ought to not be raised or kept up without consent of the legislators. And 27 said that in all cases and at all times, the military ought to be under strict subordination and control to the civil power. That's correct. That was That's correct. Yeah, that was November 11, 1776. That was written in Maryland. So you yeah. can use, you, you know, you can, you can go back and use the supremacy clause, um, but you could also use, um, you could go back as far as November 11, 1776. Yeah, it's and funny you pulled that one up because that's actually the one I used for my uh, injunction. That's, that's the yeah. heading that I have on mine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you, you you could definitely use that. It's just it's a situation though where, um, you know, a lot of stuff has been omitted. You know, as time goes on, they they change stuff and omitted and take shit out. You know, and it, because let's think about it. Who 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 do you know that's really sitting back and that's reading the Constitution? Ain't nobody doing that. Ain't nobody but us. You know, <laughs> at, any, at any given time, you might you might have in this country a couple hundred people who's reading the Constitution. Right, right, you know, no doubt. Maybe if you're in law school, but like regular, everyday people, no. Mm-hmm. If you consume yeah. shit like work, you know, and, and things of that nature, you know, so so people yeah. don't, you know, there's no time for these things. Right, right. Now, my question on what he was just talking about in his second uh, cookie plate, he said uh, unusual and dangerous weapons. Who who determines that? 
Well, apparently the state does. Okay. But see, see, and, and that that was one of the things that that I discussed earlier with the National Firearms Act under the Seventy Third Congress, Section Two, Chapter Seven Fifty Seven, Forty Eight, Stat Twelve Thirty Six, which was done in nineteen thirty four. So thirty six, nineteen thirty four. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and they have, uh, they have under there, they have uh, title. They, they call them Title Two weapons, right? And Title Two weapons um, are, are designations of certain weapons under the United States National Firearms Act. These weapons require what they call Type One Federal Firearms License, right? As well as a Class Three Special Occupation Tax to sell. This is where your ATF comes in place at. And so that the ATF and the IRS who are stepping in to define these things. Right? Uh, so the okay. restrictions apply to certain firearms, explosives, munitions, and then other devices which are federally regulated by the NFA. Right? So so violations um, of the NFA are, are, are felonies. And then they're punished for one to ten years in prison and all that shit, right? But right. That, that is a that's a so you ask me who defines that? That's the that's the NFA. It's a, it's a Title Two issue, right? It's ex post facto, but it's Title Two. Gotcha. <clears throat> Loud and clear. I heard that. Heard that. <laughs> ex post facto, but it is nationally uh-huh. or federally regulated. Mhm. Okay. Yep. That's federally yeah, regulated. That's so. Stuff. I would encourage you. I'd encourage you to take a look um, at the National Firearms Act, and then go look at the Gun Control Act of 1968. Because the Gun Control Act of 1968 um, is where is where they begin regulating um, interstate commerce with certain weapons. And that's basically what all the act is, is doing: regulating commerce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, tobacco, firearms, ammunition, you know, all that shit. And you have to ask yourself, what, well, how do, what do firearms and tobacco got to do with each other? Well, that, that goes back to prohibition, alcohol. Right, which used to be illegal. You know what I'm saying? Because they had to drag on uh, the runners. That's your Dutch show era. Gotcha. Oh yeah, I'm definitely going back mm-hmm. and catching the first half of the show. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely, man. We're going to do part two next week because you know this took us into a lot of information tonight. <laughs> now, I appreciate everybody listening and you know sitting in with me. We had a lot of people on tonight, so this was good. It was a good conversation because it, you know it, maybe there's nothing else that will help people to dig a little deeper. And this is next week. I'm going to go into the gun trust, and we, and we we'll we'll break down the gun trust. Okay. Okay. Hey, Friday. What time is your show Friday? Uh, I haven't done a Friday show in a couple of weeks because I'm I'm okay. Normally, um, I'm actually busy on Friday mornings now. So, um, I'm coaching basketball right now. So, um, oh, that's what's up. That's why I haven't. Yeah, that's why I haven't been on like that. Um, but what I'm gonna probably be doing is Friday afternoon or Friday evenings. When I'm done with practice, it will probably be when I do the show. So, it'll be, so Friday morning show will be made to Friday evening. Probably starting mm-hmm. next week, I'll be doing some Friday evening shows. Yeah, I ain't think you can get away from the kids for that long. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. You know they. Um, I'm. You know I'm working <laughs> with. Um, I'm working with high school kids, man. You know I'm working with about 
Um, I work with about eight different gangs um, in the high schools, man. So I'm an advocate for these kids, man. You know, trying to try, trying to do something positive, man. You know. Oh, you definitely yeah, doing that, man. You you definitely raising fallen humanity. I give you your props on that. Take your flowers while you're here to smell them, man. I appreciate it. Like I said, man, give me some seeds. <laughs> no doubt. That's what's up. Give me seeds. I, 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 I'll grow plants and, <laughs> and trees with that shit, dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't need to bring no flowers and no, I, some, no funerals of mine. Just give me some mm. seeds. Give me seeds. Let me grow them myself. I grow that shit right now. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> You definitely earned the right to put the uh, Ali Ali on the end of your name. Thank you, God. I appreciate that. I'm honored. No doubt, God. No doubt. That's peace. Peace, God. I'll talk to you next week, man. The show will be available in the archives right after. Hey, I'm be right there, man. Peace to the guys. I appreciate Thank all the energy. Right, peace to the guys. Uh, likewise, brother. Peace, God. Peace. All right, man. That's what's up. Um, that's the show. I think I think we covered a lot tonight, man. Um, MakeMoreCommerce.com. I need to get with me. Next week, I'm going to go over the Gun Trust, and then I think we're going to follow that up with a webinar. We're going to do part two to this show next week. Uh, part two, we're going we're gonna to go in next week, man. So y'all don't want to miss part two. All right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good, all right? So um, with that being said, man, y'all have a great week. Do something positive, man. Tell somebody you love them, right? Do some good commerce and um, make it a good one, man. I'll holler at y'all very soon. Peace to the God. Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. Ever told on it, brother? Nope. Ever squeeze the trigger? Yeah. Ever set a brother up? No. Ever helped a brother out when he was down on the side? Yeah. You a sap? No. You a boss player? You a Mac? Yeah. Let me hold a couple dollars. No. Y'all still be popping y'all collars? Yeah. Knock reels on the straight? No. Paint wetter than the lake? Yeah. Poodle in my blood? No. Number third? Yeah. You a loser? No. Winner? In the bar done so? Yeah. Got a little Duda? No. Got a supper, got a Ruger? Yeah. You in love with the house? No. She bringing you the dough? Yeah. You gon' cry if she leave? No. You gon' fly overseas? Yeah. Everybody got choice. I choose to get money, I'm stuck to this bread. Everybody got choice. These bitches in the mall in their head. Everybody got choice. Keep it one thousand, I done liked it, I chow. Everybody got choice. These bitch be hatin', I already know, but I never go broke. Yeah.